You're not some floozy. No, no. <laughs> I reserved my hand-holding for high school. <laughs> I'm saving my hand-holding for marriage. <laughs> Melbourne, Australia, what is good? How's it going, everybody? Good, well, awesome, great. Glad to hear it. It is a joy to be here. It's a joy to be here again. Who came out to the show last night as well? Who fun, look, oh, so polite, everyone raising their hands. <laughs> Not making too much noise. I'm very excited to be here. It's been fun. Kelly and I had a very fun day in between the show last night and tonight. We went to the fancy art gallery. Was it the Victorian Art Gallery? Yep, that's the one. We went to that one. It was really good. There was a room, and Kelly and I can discuss it, but there's like one particular room where they were just like, what if every famous artist was just in one room and we didn't make a big deal about it? <laughs> Super cool. Enjoyed that. And then we went over to the Australian Sports Museum and oh, we had a ball. <laughs> but. I don't want to talk about that all myself and then also talk about what we're going to be talking about today for the chapters of Percy Jackson. I'm with a guest, a very special guest, so please give a warm welcome and welcome to the stage, the guest for tonight's show, the head of Magic Shop Design and my wife, Kelly Beckman-Schubert. Kelly, come on out! Hello. How's it going? Good. Did you have fun today on our museum adventure day? I did. It was a fun adventure day. Mm -hmm. What was your favorite aspect of the first museum we went to? The Victorian Gallery. I can't remember the name, even though people just told me. <laughs> Is it the National Gallery of Victoria? It's the NGV. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, I liked the building itself. I mean, all the artwork in it was really What amazing. are you, an architect or something? <laughs> <laughs> the artwork was amazing. It was like mm -hmm. truly on another caliber. Right. Also, I really liked the like outdoor exhibit. Oh, right. Was that was like, the coolest part. Yeah, there was like an outdoor exhibit of a... Um, it was literally, like as they described it, like a redesigned version of the Pantheon. So yeah. if you want an on-brand free art installation to go to yeah. after coming to this Greek mythology-based show, mm -hmm. you should go. It's cool. It's just like yeah. a Pantheon and then they paint it like different colors and stuff. We took yeah. a bunch of pictures and videos. That was really beautiful. But the building itself was just a really beautifully classic design building. I liked yeah. it. The best part about the Pantheon thing was not how pretty it was, which was very pretty, mm -hmm. but the fact that I believe its official name was the Tower of Boom or the Temple of Boom. I Temple think the official name was yep. the Temple of Boom, <laughs> yep. which sounded very different than what it was, but what a great name. Yeah. <laughs> and then Australian Sports Museum. Yes. Lovely time. That was Lovely very time. Didn't like that we had to pay money, though. <laughs> we've been spoiled by Australian museums across all the cities we've been to and that. Mm -hmm. They're all free? Yes. You guys, Incredible. tax dollars go to good things here? <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> Yes, we have been very spoiled. We we saw there was a price and we we're like, oh, should we go? And we're like, this is the first museum that we're paying for. Right. We <laughs> we've go. been to so many. Yeah. So I'm kind of justifying it as like, yeah, the $30. And it was Australian dollars, so it was basically free. <laughs> I'm just justifying it as like, we've so far paid 60 Australian dollars between the two of us to go to a bunch of museums. Yes. It's okay. And but it was a really cool museum too, the, yeah. the sports museum. It, it was, was fun. I, they're not paying me to say this, but it was fun. You had this like interactive wristband and then you could like vote on things. And yeah. it, and there were some funny ones that were like actually divisive topics mm -hmm. that I'm like, oh, that's kind of weird that they would put this in the museum. Yeah. But then there were like some good ones where they had a women's sports section and it was like, does women's sports get enough coverage? And one was like, no. And the other one was like, no, but different. 
right now. <laughs> I was like, yeah, good. I like that. One of them was like kind of close. The other one was like not even close. Right. Was, that's yeah. basically what it was. The closest you could get to I don't care about women's sports was like, it, no, still, still no. Still not <laughs> it's enough. Still yeah, it was great. And then, of course, we had, and if anyone was at the show last night, they would know that this is not a surprise. But when we got to the Australian football section, there was a little like soundproof room where you could listen to all the songs <laughs> from the teams. <laughs> So obviously we went and scrolled over to the Greater Western Sydney Giants song, which is the best of the songs, and whew, had a great time. Mm-hmm. That was wonderful. It was pretty good. It, it was, was pretty great. good. Anyway, enough sports talk at the Nerd Podcast. We are here <laughs> to discuss some parts of Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Now, I don't think we've asked you this question because in between you being a guest and us changing the rules where when I have repeat guests, I try to ask him different questions every time. Mm -hmm. Have I asked you yet what your nectar and ambrosia would taste like? Oh. So that, thanks to some (laughs) listener suggestions. I really was certain you were about to ask me what my favorite book was, and I was like, here's this question again. Luck. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I'm forgetful, but I remember that I've asked you that at like four of the past five live shows we've done together. (laughs) Eventually I get through. No, so in terms of this question, it would just be, what would your nectar and ambrosia taste like? So basically, what's your dream meal and what's your dream drink? Hmm. Hmm. Um, I should have asked you this backstage so you yeah, could prepare. so I could think about it. Welcome to the second. hot seat. <laughs> Favorite drink would probably be a flat white. Ah. Um, Non-jokingly, she drank them before she came here. She's not yes. just saying that to pander to you all. No, it's true. And in the U.S., you can't get them everywhere. They're not at every place that gives coffee and not every person knows what they are. If you go to a good place and explain what it is, some people will know what it is or know how to make it. So it's wonderful to go here and just say I want a flat right and then everything's I'm just fitting in, but I love it. Um, <laughs> and I would probably have like, I have a, like a specific, I'm such a coffee snob now. I've been here You've for a You've become a monster being like, in the yeah. coffee country of Australia, being in Sydney and Melbourne specifically. You are like, uh, your standards are so high now. I have a specific <laughs> bean from a specific place that is my favorite that oh, I've had so Oh, you don't so have Tanzanian beans? That uh. is the one I would pick, yeah. <laughs> that is the one that I would pick. Uh, so that's the drink. A meal? Mm-hmm. Just a whole bunch of fresh mango. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which we've had a good time here. Yes, we've had that some, is also what we've had we've here. We've had some Kensington mangoes, which are good. One mm-hmm. brand in particular was called Sweet Cheeks. Yep. <laughs> That's my favorite, based solely on the name, but it was also quite tasty. It was also good, yeah. yeah we've, we've, had a- we've had our fair share of mangoes and coffee, or at least you've had. I've had zero <laughs> coffee because I don't drink coffee, but... That's what I have every morning for breakfast is mangoes and coffee, and I'm just living the dream right now, apparently. And I just keep touring all the different Australian cereals that they don't make in the U.S., <laughs> which has been really fun. Recently, we had, what was it? It was like the churros one, which was good. Mm-hmm. And then what's the peanut butter like? I don't know what it, it was. was. The, it was like Nutrigrain or whatever, but it was like, yeah, yeah, oh, nice, cool. But it was like, it wasn't just like Nutrigrain. It was like, Nutrigrain! Like, <laughs> I feel like the box was yelling at me. And then this one even more so, it was like, limited edition peanut butter! <laughs> and then it, I like that it, whatever peanut butter brand it was emulating, it said inspired by whoever it is to like make it clear that, I don't mm-hmm. know, it's not exactly something. It was like, inspired by whatever brand. So I've been having a fun time. (laughs) Anyway, I promise this is a Percy Jackson podcast. (laughs) So let's get into it. Well, the people listening from other countries at home are like, oh my God, get on with it. (laughs) So we are here to finish up chapter three and then as much of chapter four as we can get through in Battle of the Labyrinth, where we last left our heroes. The last thing that happened in chapter three was a completely unnecessary but very important side scene with Blackjack, where Percy (laughs) just talks to him for no reason. Mm -hmm. And I loved every word of it. But before that, we have a situation where 
We know what's going on in the camp in terms of the problem with Grover and the council being upset with him not finding Pan. And then they're talking about potential alternatives to solving this Grover-related problem. Mm -hmm. And they already know about going into the labyrinth, that whole quest. So that's what we are getting into now. The night after dinner, Quintus has the campers dress in full armor as if they are playing capture the flag, but the vibe is off. You recall they said they're playing war mm -hmm. games this evening, so mm -hmm. these are the new war games. Everyone is very serious, and those big crates that Percy kept wondering about were missing, and this chapter title is I Play Tag with Scorpions, and I thought, oh no, the scorpions! <laughs> were they in the crates? So Quintus explains that they will be in teams of two, but he has to scream that have already been chosen <laughs> once everybody immediately tries to pair up, which is exactly what I would do in mm -hmm. a middle school situation. Exactly. Like immediately you got to try to get with your best friend. Be like, Josh Pacifico, where are you? Come on, we got to go. Yeah, I think I was telling you this story earlier when I did my fifth year of school, my first year of grad school, we had, I knew that the project was going to be a partner project and there were only 10 of us in the class. And I was like, what would be with one of my by two friends, but also the people that I vibe with on like a design level. And so we're going into like the first class and I was like, I don't think we're gonna pick in this class, but I'm gonna situate myself right in between both of them, just <laughs> in case. And then we get to the like whole like, okay, so let's pick partners. And everybody was like too nice to call out and like point across like, that's mine. Like, like you all know each other, we're all friends, but we all have our preferences that we were too kind to point out, mm -hmm. but I had situated myself right in between the two people I wanted to be with. So when we went like, well, let's just go with whoever's sitting with. I'm like, yeah, that sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> Can't lose, play exactly. both sides. So the kids are a bit disappointed, but Quintus says, quote, your goal is simple. Collect the gold laurels without dying. The wreath is wrapped in a silk package tied to the back of one of the monsters. There are six monsters. Each has a silk package. Only one holds the laurels. You must find the wreath before the other teams. And of course, you'll have to slay the monster to get it and stay alive. Didn't like that he mentioned staying alive twice in the same <laughs> description. Feels like an intense game that they're about mm -hmm. to play. Now, the kids completely 180 on their very serious stance. Now they're all very excited. They think it's gonna be fun. They like the opportunity to fight some monsters along the way. This is what they're training for. Quintus begins to announce the partners and he first clarifies that trading and complaining are both forbidden. Great. <laughs> He's set for this role. Mrs. O'Leary, our big dog friend, eats some leftover pizza on the side. Very smart decision for Mrs. O'Leary because they came straight from dinner. There was leftover pizza on the plates. Mrs. O'Leary went, thank you very much. <laughs> nom, 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 nom. Now the teams begin to get introduced. The first pairing is Beckendorf and Selena. And then narrator Percy notes, which Beckendorf looked happy about. <laughs> Burgeoning love between Beckendorf and Selena? Who's to say? I can dig it. I think it's great. They're both... Important enough to be named, but not important enough to go on a quest in any of these books. <laughs> Put them together. The Stoles are together because, of course, they have to be. Clarice and Lee Fletcher are together, which makes sense. Percy and Annabeth are together because they're going to get married. And <laughs> when they get put together, Percy says nice and then grins at Annabeth. And she says, your armor is crooked. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good, pretty good. And uh, clearly she is still upset with Percy, as she has been so far in this book. Grover and Tyson get paired together. And as happened earlier in this chapter, it was established that Grover and Tyson don't like each other, which was news to me. But yeah. now it's just very quickly like, oh, hey, by the way, they don't like each other. And then a couple of pages later, it's like, uh oh, they're together. What hijinks? <laughs> yeah, it was news to me as well. As I was like re-listening to this in prep, I was like, I completely forgot about that. But they do give the reasons why they don't like each other. Right. 
Tyson's like allergic to goat fur mm-hmm. and Grover had a bad experience with the Cyclops. And so he is not thrilled about being with any Cyclops. Right. It was just strange for me because it didn't come up in book three. So it felt a little bit forced. But that being said, Tyson was basically gone for the entirety of book three. Exactly, yeah. So I guess it could make sense. Mm-hmm. But it did feel like a new development. But it does make me want to reread every single interaction that they had to be like, yeah. did Uncle Rick know or did he get to writing book four? I was like, I need more conflict. <laughs> So they're together. Neither of them are happy about it. Both turn to Percy for help. Percy gives them a nod of encouragement and motions for them (laughs) to get together. Not very helpful there, Percy. (laughs) But what can you do? So the games start to begin. They're going into the woods. Annabeth and Percy find tracks, and they begin to follow them. And they overhear something. They think it might be a monster, but it's just the stoles. And Percy, as the narrator says, quote, their dad was the god of thieves, but they were about as stealthy as buffaloes. There's <laughs> buffaloes catching stray in this episode here. My version said water buffaloes. Oh. Interesting. So they go deeper into the woods, and Annabeth notes that they are at the point where they stopped looking for Nico, which is very sad. And Percy feels bad that six months have passed without them finding Nico, making any progress about his whereabouts, etc. That is when Percy tells Annabeth about the Iris message with the ghost and Nico, and he doesn't really know who called it since it was like a third-party collect call type situation. Annabeth doesn't like the fact that Nico is trying to summon the dead. Percy thinks that he's been getting bad advice from this ghostly spirit, and Annabeth agrees. She says that ghosts always have an agenda and they despise the living. So Percy relays, one, that he thinks Nico is coming after him, and two, that the ghost mentioned a maze, and that makes Annabeth even more certain about going to the labyrinth. She's been pretty set on, we gotta go into the labyrinth. It's the title of the book. We have to go there. (laughs) Percy wonders about who sent this IM, and at that point they hear rustling, and they know that it's from something large. So they go on top of Zeus's thumb, AKA the poo-poo pile, and they struggle to tell where this noise is coming from. And then they are startled by Juniper. So Annabeth asks why she's here, and Juniper says that she lives here, which is not very helpful. (laughs) Percy asks, in the boulders? And she says, no, in the Juniper, which like, I don't know. Narrative Percy says, it made sense and I felt kind of stupid. I'd been hanging around dryads for years, but I never really talked to them much. I knew they couldn't go very far away from their tree, which was the source of life, but I didn't know much else. And in Percy's defense, it just feels too easy that Juniper would live in the Juniper. (laughs) Like, it just feels like one of those things where even if that is the case for nymphs, it would just be like, there's no way you live in the one named after you, right? Like, that's (laughs) that's too obvious. So I support him not knowing that right off the jump. I think he's a little dense for not getting that one. Like, I guess I also don't know the rules of nymphs, so I don't know that they have different names or, or like, is every juniper nymph named juniper? Like, I don't know. I feel like there could be an opportunity to not necessarily be named after wherever you live. I suppose we can give Percy a pass. He's a teenage boy. Yeah. He's new to this. He has to to keep going away from camp to do quests all the time. He's not learning. He does spend a good amount of time fighting for his life. So, you know, give him a pass. Right. He might forget some stuff. He's trying to not die from Kronos. So Juniper asks if they're busy, and Percy explains the whole game and basically implies, we're quite busy, Juniper. (laughs) Annabeth says that they aren't and asks what's up. True friend Annabeth. Love it. Juniper is in tears over how distraught Grover has become and reveals that she's wondering if he is seeing another tree. (laughs) 
sad. Yeah, pretty bad. <laughs> Annabeth assures her that that is not the case. Juniper cites Grover having a crush on a blueberry bush, and Annabeth says that he would never even look at another tree. She says that it's just stress as why he's been acting sort of weird. I'm so confused, because wasn't he like nervously chewing on his club earlier? So I don't understand if he eats wooden things and he also uh. falls in love with trees. <laughs> I don't know, he's problematic. But I guess a club, it's like already dead. It's not like an alive <laughs> plant, right? I don't know. <laughs> club, you just mean like, like a wooden club, yeah? Yeah, yeah, right. he, yeah. Yeah, okay. he had a wooden club, yeah. Okay, great, I don't know, there's yeah. a lot of laughter for me for that. I was yeah. like, no, am, I, tree, am I wrong, though. am I wrong? At one point. Yeah, but like, I don't know, I wouldn't look at a baseball bat, or sorry, a cricket bat, and be like, this is a tree. Like, it once was, but not anymore. <laughs> Juniper doesn't want them to let Grover go underground. Annabeth says it might be the only way to accomplish his task. They just need to know where to start. And Juniper says, about that, dot, dot, dot. And I was like, all right, here we go. But then she tells them to hide after there's some more rustling and she poofs into green mist, which is very cool. Mm -hmm. Now what's making the noise, unfortunately, is a 10-foot scorpion with a red silk package on its back. So we know it at least is a scorpion for the purposes of the game and mm -hmm. not a rogue scorpion. The boxes, though, I thought, those weren't 10-foot boxes, were they? Were the scorpions inside the boxes, or was something else inside the boxes? I'd have to go back and see how yeah. big the boxes are. I don't remember the size. I don't remember them being 10 feet tall. I feel like Percy would have been like, why are these boxes the size of basketball hoops, mm. which is 10 feet tall? <laughs> are all the monsters the same monster? Like, are there six scorpions with six packages on them, or is it yes. six types of monsters? I believe it's six scorpions with six mm. packages on them, but only one of the packages has the actual laurels mm. in there. We'll have to go back to see how big the crates were. I don't remember. I don't think they were 10 feet tall, so Maybe. I don't know if the crates actually have something else in them, but they're gone. I'll have to see. Okay. Mm. <laughs> First off, not an interactive show. <laughs> Second, We've been lucky enough not to see any scorpions. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. <laughs> We've been lucky enough not to know yeah, that I, information. Yeah, I will say, yeah. I, I'm I, now I, like I recalculating. So. I'm like, oh, yeah, long. But I'm also okay with not knowing that off the bat. <laughs> I guess, yes, you're right. I should have said long, but I was just thinking, you know, I, I would hope everyone knew what I meant. But now I'm imagining an upright walking scorpion, which is way more terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Annabeth says that the plan should be to go behind one of the scorpions and chop off the tail, and then somebody else should be in front of the scorpion in order to distract it. Percy offers to go in the front and suggests that Annabeth go in the back because she's got the hat. She can be a little bit sneakier. Makes sense to me. Annabeth agrees. Narrator Percy then notes that they've fought together so much that they now know each other's moves. So they have this nice synergy going. I really enjoy that. <laughs> They're feeling confident about their plan until two more scorpions, morpions, show up. <laughs> Now, neither of them are confident, and they also realize, okay, we have 50% of the total scorpions approaching us right now. That is way too high of a percentage of the scorpions. Wait, do they all have packages on their backs? Yes. Oh, They all have packages, but part. only one package is correct. So I guess they would oh. all be empty but one. Oh, okay. I thought it was one with a package and two rogue. No, 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 no. But it's, okay, I see. Yeah, mm. it's all them. They could all be the potential. And it would mm. be really bad if you were like fighting off. Like imagine Clarice beats up five of the scorpions and all of their bags are empty. Yeah. It's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Defeated so many of these. Yeah. 
So the scorpions are approaching. Percy asks if they should climb up the rocks, but Annabeth says that there's no time, and she is right, because they are approaching quite quickly. So they fend off the scorpions' attacks, but Percy knows that this can't last forever. Eventually, the scorpions are going to overpower us. We got to do something else. He comes across a crack in the boulders, and he tells Annabeth to go inside. She thinks that it's too small, but Percy insists and says that he will cover her while she goes in. So they enter, but immediately they fall into a pit, quote, that wasn't there before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Intriguing. The entrance then closes behind them, which is even more intriguing. <laughs> and Percy then lifts Riptide for glowing related purposes. Annabeth is scared and asks where they are. And I just wrote a minute. They're not already in the labyrinth, are they? <laughs> <laughs> Silly me from before. Percy is also freaking out, but only internally. He's trying to stay cool and calm and put up a nice face to Annabeth, which reminds me of recently when we were in Sydney, we went on a whale watching type mm. boat thing. And it was towards the end of the season and the weather wasn't great, but it was literally like the second to last day before they didn't do it anymore. And Kelly wanted to see whales. I was very excited about this trip. Mm -hmm. I was super excited. Never seen a whale outside of like an aquarium kind of setting. I was really excited for the chance to see whales. Have you seen a whale in an aquarium? Uh, I, that, when I say aquarium, I mean like SeaWorld. Okay, I was going to say, that's yeah. a big aquarium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yes, we went on this boat and the swells were how high? Two meters? They said, they said a little higher than two, mm -hmm. like approaching two and a half by the time we were done. And they were five seconds apart. It was the most like rocky that we've been and and they asked us beforehand if we had been like out on open water, like out in Seaport. And we have, but nothing like that before. And it was. Beyond the fact that everybody on the boat was sick, it was also terrifying. I did yeah. not, we did not enjoy Before it. we got on, they asked if we were prone to seasickness, which for me, the answer was no. And that was the correct answer up until that day. <laughs> <laughs> Changed my history. But yeah, it was very intense. But while we were going, Kelly was, you know, getting a little bit just nervous about the situation. Like <laughs> Kelly was not having a good time. I was also not having a good time, but I basically had to do this where like Kelly was like a little more stressed and I was just kind of like, no, it's okay. It's going to be okay. And inside I was like, this sucks. I hate this. I also want the boat to turn around. But I was like, no, cool, calm, collected. We made but, it out okay. But then once you were sick, it kind of flipped and I was like, oh, I need to be the strong one now. It's okay. It's okay. And then we also discovered the move to the back of the boat technique. Mm -hmm which uh, rookie move on our part. Well, I'm kind of mad that the people, when I was clearly like focusing all my breathing to not throw up and you were focusing all your breathing to try to calm down. Thankfully, the person working there did so a very nice. good job of being very nice. Super but kind. not until the waves got not as bad did she say, oh, by the way, if you go towards the back, the back it's less better. rocky. It's like, great, that would have been very cool information 45 minutes ago. <laughs> Before I rolled everywhere, you know, yeah, this is a two-hour experience. It was it was very long, and at some point, I was just like, I mean, ninety-five percent of the boat was sick. Yeah, we don't and have to keep harping on that. Also, by the way, no whales. We saw no whales. We saw some dolphins. We saw no, some dolphins. So at least it wasn't nothing. You didn't look up to see them. I saw oh. the dolphins. Yeah, they're like, oh, if you well, at first they're like, oh, if you go to the other side of the boat, you can see dolphins. I was like, I'm good. I'm focusing. <laughs> I'm trying to keep it together. But I was just thinking, pretty sure. Most of this boat wants us to turn around right now. Can we just? Yeah, if we turn took a around? poll, if yeah. we went Squid Game with the checkmark X voting block, I feel like everyone would be like, right oh, yeah, turn around, baby. Yeah. That was an experience. It was an experience. Yeah. Anyway, Percy Jackson. So, Percy is 
again, freaking out internally, but trying to keep a calm face for Annabeth. And he says, look, even though we don't know where we are, at least we're safe from the scorpions. And Percy knows that there's not supposed to be a cave here in the boulders. So something is up. He wonders if it's a fissure, like the one Nico made appear when he did his Hulk smash to the ground in anger at the end of book three. Percy thinks that what they are in is a long room. And Annabeth corrects him that it's a corridor, the architect that she is. <laughs> She warns Percy not to take another step and they must find the exit. And Percy tries to pull a, oh yeah, it's right over, but it has been completely covered over from where they entered. The ceiling is just completely solid stone. Narrator Percy then says, quote, Annabeth's hand slipped into mine. Under different circumstances, I would have been embarrassed. But here in the dark, I was glad to know where she was. It was about the only thing I was sure of. And I mean, hand holding, it's a pretty huge step. It's pretty big. They're 14 in this book, yeah? I don't remember, that sounds I right. I think they're 14. So or 15. I mean, yeah, maybe, but like regardless, at least for me, like holding hands at 14, like eighth grade, that was a big deal. I was like, <laughs> I was very nervous about it. I remember having my scary situations of being like, oh, am I too forward if I hold her hand during the movie? <laughs> I don't know if you were as nervous about hand holding as I, don't I was. I know if I held anybody's hand <laughs> in junior high. <laughs> Try to think You're about not it. some floozy. No, nah, no. Nah. <laughs> I reserved my hand holding for high school. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saving my hand holding for marriage. <laughs> Annabeth asks Percy to help her search the walls, and Percy asks for what, and she says the sign of Daedalus. And narrator Percy adds, as if that was supposed to make sense, <laughs> which is wonderful. Now, if Percy had played Hades the video game, he would at least know <laughs> that Daedalus is a thing. In the game, you don't meet Daedalus as a character, but he gives you weapon upgrades, which what I've now learned about Daedalus makes sense. Mm. So I don't know a whole lot about him. I just know that he exists and he makes my various weapons stronger. So I'm a big Daedalus fan. <laughs> Annabeth then finds something along the walls and presses it and a blue delta appears and glows. And then the roof slides open. The night sky is visible and then ladder rungs poke out of the wall. They hear Tyson and others calling their names, but Tyson's calls are significantly louder than ever. <laughs> Everyone else's, which I think is a great little note. He also notices that the sky is darker than it used to be when they went in. Right, because it wasn't night when they began, mm -hmm. but now it is night, so feels like an interesting note that we will learn more about mm -hmm. in a little bit. So they end up escaping, and they are greeted by Clarice asking where they've been. She says that they've been looking forever, and Percy says that they were only gone for a few minutes. What are you talking about? But then I was thinking, okay, time must work differently here. That's very interesting, and I wonder if that will affect birthday slash deadline stuff, because that's always an important mm. thing with these books. We're always worrying about Percy turning 16. We're always worrying about deadlines, whether it's solstices or meetings or whatever. So I wonder if the uncertain time situation will put something into flux over the course of this story. Mm, that's an interesting thought. Mm, thank you for not spoiling. Your trapdoor has not been activated. <laughs> So Chiron, Tyson, and Grover approach to check in on them, make sure that they're okay. Percy tries to explain that they simply fell into a hole within the rocks, but the crowd doesn't really seem sold on that story. <laughs> Chiron explains that they were gone for an hour, and Grover says that they would have won, but Tyson sat on him, and Tyson says, it was an accident! <laughs> Clarice has the laurels, but she isn't bragging, which really alerts to Percy, something is wrong. She would totally be flexing on this right now. I don't know, this sounds a lot like everybody thinks they were off smooching. <laughs> <laughs> we fell into a hole. <laughs> it's only been a few minutes. <laughs> touche, touche. It is funny that nobody asked that, but I guess they're not like fully established as a thing yet, but everybody should know it. Come on, it's pretty <laughs> obvious. 
Clarice is suspicious of the whole. Annabeth tells Clarice that they may want to talk further at the big house, and Clarice gasps and asks Annabeth if they found it. Annabeth hesitates, but then she admits that they did. And the campers and Percy and me are all confused. Chiron calls for silence and says that now is not the time and place to discuss this. He gives the boulders side eye, which I think is really good that he looks at the boulders like they are a person guilty of something. Gives them side eye and tells the campers to head to their cabins to go to sleep. Clarice says that this explains what Luke is after. And Percy's confused because Percy is thicker than refrigerated Vegemite. (laughs) Annabeth explains that there's an entrance to the labyrinth and it's straight in the heart of Camp Half-Blood. This is what Luke has been after. This is very bad. This is the end of chapter three. And now we can get into chapter four. Annabeth breaks the rules. (gasps) She doesn't do that. Whoa. So, of course, I always try to guess what the chapter title hints at. Mm -hmm. I was guessing here. I said it feels like she joins the mission when it's just supposed to be a smaller group. But that also feels too easy. So, I don't know. I guessed it, and then I was like, nah, and then I didn't give a further guess. But I wouldn't have been right anyway. It's all good. Let's move on to what actually happens in chapter four. It starts off with, quote, Chiron had insisted we talk about it in the morning, which was kind of like, hey, your life's in mortal danger. Sleep tight. And (laughs) this is a thousand percent the way that I would phrase this. This is a very Mike Schubert way to say it. So when people talk about the similarities between the way I and Percy think slash talk, I get it. I would totally make a joke slash self-deprecating humorous situation like this. Totally. Anyway, Percy goes to sleep, and of course he has a dream because that's how it works. This time, it's a dream of a prison. There's a boy in a Greek tunic and sandals, and he's crouching alone in a stone room. There's an open ceiling, but the room has 20 feet tall. Tall? Yeah? 20 feet tall? Cool. 20 feet tall marble walls. 20 feet long marble walls. <laughs> there are busted crates scattered about, and there are bronze tools spilling out of them, such as a compass and a saw. I don't know if these are going to be important or if it's just like flavor text, but I'm intrigued by compass and saw. <laughs> There's a boy huddled over in the corner. He is muddy and he's covered in scratches. And then there are double oak doors that open dramatically, and I thought, oh, Aragorn? <laughs> <laughs> Kelly's very excited to go to New Zealand in a couple weeks. (laughs) But no, it is not Aragorn. It is two guards. They enter and they fling in an old man. And the boy identifies this man as his father. And this old dude looks absolutely rough, just completely beat up. The boy gets enraged with the guards for what they've done to his father. And he threatens to kill them. And then a voice says, there will be no killing today. And out emerges a man in white robes. He has a gold circlet on his head. He's got a beard pointed like a spear and a cruel glint in his eyes. He continues, you helped the Athenian kill my Minotaur, Daedalus. You turned my own daughter against me. And I thought, ooh, okay, spicy villain. But then Daedalus replies, you did that yourself, your majesty. Bigger ooh. What a comeback. I already like Daedalus just because he helped me in my video game. But now I really like Daedalus. This is cool. And also utilizing the Your Majesty as a diss after. Oh, it's so good. Oh, it's just like when in Texas you call someone sir, but you don't mean it. Oh, oh, so good. I love it. I love it. I love it. The guards, unfortunately, don't love it. They kick him in the ribs for saying this. 
Maybe not worth it. The king then continues, you love your maze so much. I've decided to let you stay here. This will be your workshop. Make me new wonders. Amuse me. Every maze needs a monster. You will be mine. And I gotta say, Rick Riordan is very good at writing villains because it has been two sentences and I want this guy dead immediately. <laughs> his pointy beard sucks. His white robe sucks. His circlet sucks. I hate him. Don't know this guy's name. Don't know this guy's deal, except for I despise him with every fiber of my being. Yep. Good writing. <laughs> now, the old man says that he doesn't fear this king. And the king goes, oh, but you fear something happening to your son? No. He says that the next time that Daedalus earns a punishment, he will punish his son instead of him. So the boy asks his dad what they should do, and the dad says that they will find a way. The doors are locked with a loud boom, and that is also when Percy wakes up, and I think this is a monumentous occasion where Percy actually has woken up at the end of a scene in the dream, <laughs> as opposed to being like something very important that was about to tell me about the plot was gonna happen, and then Grover woke me up for some silly reason. <laughs> oh, they got omelets, Percy, let's go to breakfast. <laughs> so, thought that was interesting, a very, very interesting dream. Chiron calls a war council in the sword arena, and Mrs. O'Leary is in the background chewing on a giant rubber yak. I like that in basically every scene, Mrs. O'Leary is just in the background eating, being a dog. It's wonderful. <laughs> I it's love it. It's not necessarily contributing anything to the story except for vibes, but I'm here for it. I love it. It's great. If we ever had a dog, I don't think we'll ever have a dog, but mm -mm. if we ever had a dog, mm -mm. Mrs. O'Leary for sure. No, we're never having a dog. <laughs> it's... I could go on, but I won't. <laughs> just, just all my friends that get dogs is just further proof of why I never want to have a dog. <laughs> they sound like a handful. I like dogs, but I usually like other people's dogs. Other people's dogs way better than your own dogs. Mm -hmm. you I love hanging out with dogs. You don't have to buy food. You don't have to pay for shots and stuff. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then I love going home to my dog hair free home. <sighs> so good. It's so nice. Clarice and Annabeth lead the meeting. Tyson and Grover are sitting as far away from each other as possible, and I bet that they will overcome this at some point, but I'm already tired of the Grover and Tyson not liking each other mm -hmm. dynamic. Maybe there's some plot purpose that, you know, they're gonna be at odds and then they're gonna overcome it and it's cute, but like, I guess because it felt kind of forced to me, mm -hmm. I'm not here for it, and I'm just so convinced that they're gonna get over it, I kinda just wanna fast forward to the part where they like each other. I'm sure it'll come up in the book, but I don't know, I'm not a fan of this. It just feels unnecessary. Yeah, I mean, I, I had forgotten that this was a beef that was happening, but it does, although it seems forced because this is the first time we're hearing about it, the reasoning makes sense. Yeah. It's another reason I don't like dogs. I'm allergic to them. That's so. <laughs> a good point. And something I have to <laughs> remind you every time you consider getting a cat. Yeah. Because you're also allergic to them. Yeah. <laughs> but I love to rub my face in their cute little faces. Well, that is a problem. <laughs> Because you're allergic to them. I know. That's worse than just owning one. Yeah. But you can't help yourself. Like 10 seconds later, I can't breathe. It's yeah, we'll go home to your parents' place for the holidays. You'll be like, oh, my eyes are so puffy. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm so stuffed. It's like, well, Kelly, you gave Merlin many kisses. <laughs> like, my lips are burning. And you're I like, know. yeah. Well, imagine if you were like allergic to peanut butter and you were like, mm. yeah. <laughs> I love you. You're so cute. <laughs> <laughs> So also in attendance in this meeting, we've got Juniper, Selena, the Stoles, Beckendorf, who's the only character not listed with his first and last name. Pop quiz. Do you remember Beckendorf's first name? Does anyone remember Beckendorf? What, Charles? Okay, great. I was Everyone just knows. about to say that. I was, yeah. I realized when I said this, I was writing these notes and I was like, oh, that's funny. They didn't list his first name, which is 
<laughs> Couldn't tell ya. So he's just straight Beckendorf, Lee Fletcher, and Argus. Argus being there makes Percy think, all right, something is really wrong here because mm -hmm. Argus only shows up when things are bad. Then narrative Percy says, quote, the whole time Annabeth spoke, he, Argus, kept his hundred blue eyes trained on her so hard that his whole body turned bloodshot, which I think is very funny and reminds me of the first time I ever experienced having bloodshot eyes, which was when I think I was in fourth grade and I played Jack to the PlayStation 2 video game like on Christmas morning and I just played it a lot and I guess I just like wasn't blinking and I remember being confused like why do my eyes hurt and then I looked in the mirror I was like what are these red lines in my eyes it was a new experience for me you also get that issue when you play video games yeah. you forget to blink I forget to blink I have to remember to take out my contacts before I play video games sometimes and put on my glasses because otherwise my contacts will fall out because I forget to <laughs> blink for so long a very intense gamer that Kelly Schubert <laughs> Annabeth thinks that Luke has to know about the entrance since he knew everything about the camp. And Percy picks up that she says this with a hint of pride in her voice, like she still respects him. And I love how petty Percy is. <laughs> he is so tuned into Annabeth showing Luke any sort of acknowledgement, and he's not here for it, but I'm here for that. <laughs> Juniper says that she knows that Luke used this entrance in the past. Selena asks why Juniper never said anything, and she says that she didn't know it was special. She thought it was just a cave, and she adds the caves are yucky. Can't fight it. Normal take. I support it. Grover, in response to this, he also supports it. He says, she has good taste. And then Juniper says, I wouldn't have paid any attention to it except, well, it was Luke. And then Grover immediately says, forget what I said about good taste. <laughs> I also love how much Grover hates Luke. So Quintus asks if they think Luke will use the entrance as an invasion point. Clarice says yes. Annabeth chimes in that they think he's been sending scouts to the maze because they found one. And Chiron identifies this scout as Chris Rodriguez and gives Quintus a, quote, meaningful look. Hmm. Very Chiron of him to do. Mm -hmm. Quintus says, ah, the one and the, and then Chiron, it doesn't say this, but I assume Chiron gives him a very intense, like, don't you dare spoil the plot. <laughs> Look. So then Quintus says, ah, the one and the, yes, I understand. <laughs> Percy asks, and I love that Percy is always ready to do this. Percy goes, the one and the what? <laughs> And Clarice glares at Percy, which I hmm. didn't understand, and then I continued to read this chapter, and I very much understood. I was very confused. I just wrote in my notes, in all caps, what is going on? Has Chiron gotten to everyone <laughs> in his mission of making sure that everyone works in a way where the plot is protected? <laughs> Clarice says that the point is, Luke is going to try to find a way to navigate the maze by finding Daedalus's workshop. At this point, I have to say, I did Google the pronunciation of Daedalus to make sure that I didn't get emails about pronouncing it. <laughs> because in Hades the video game, they say Daedalus. But also in Hades the video game, they say Demeter, and that did not stop people from emailing me. I did look up a YouTube video that was called How to Pronounce Daedalus, and in parentheses it said, with real life examples. And it was like a 40 second video with clips of people saying it in various different medias. What was very cool though, was that the first half, they pronounced it Daedalus, and the second half, they pronounced it Daedalus. So this video <laughs> was a waste of 40 seconds of my life. <laughs> Plus, however long it took me to search it. The general consensus I found from Googling is that you can either say Daedalus or Daedalus or Daedalus. That one feels wrong. <laughs> feels like the other one could go 50-50 because it's spelled D-A-E-D-A-L-U-S. But Daedalus? No, that's incorrect. I will be okay with the other two. I will be saying Daedalus because that's how they say it in Hades a video game and that is the most canon thing of all. 
but that's been pronunciation corner with Mike Schubert. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that was interesting, and I don't know if this is Rick Riordan or my PDF, but when they were saying Daedalus's workshop, at least in the one I was reading, it was Daedalus S apostrophe S. Are you an S apostrophe S person or an S apostrophe leave a blank person? S apostrophe leave a blank. I know that I'm is Grammatically correct. I That's know I married you for a reason. Good. <laughs> don't have to talk about that one. So Percy identifies Daedalus as the creator of the maze. Annabeth confirms and calls him the greatest architect and inventor of all time. And I thought this was really interesting because I feel like the books usually don't date themselves. They had the whole thing where they didn't say specifically what president it was to kind of keep it vague. Mm -hmm. But this makes it clear that this book was written in the late 2000s because she didn't identify Kelly Schubert as the greatest architect of all time. <laughs> I was like, where are you going with this one? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to compliment town and we're going to intermission baby, what a segue. So uh, we are gonna take a brief 15 minute intermission or so. See you soon, or I guess I'll perceive you soon after like 15 minutes or so. See y'all then. Hello and welcome to the Admiral of the Labyrinth, Texas edition. I am back at my parents' place in Houston, Texas, home for the holidays, which has been quite nice to see family. Obviously, I miss Australia and New Zealand dearly, but it's been good to relax a little bit and not have to be moving around all of the time. But I missed you all last week when we took the time off. Thank you for being patient there. Hopefully, you are enjoying that this episode is really long and beefy and stuff. But let's get into some announcements about the new Olympian. First, the holiday season came and went, and maybe you got some gifts, maybe you didn't get some gifts, maybe you're still looking for that special something, and now it's time to get a gift for yourself. Well, if you go to thenewsolympian.com slash merch, you can get some TNO merch and treat yourself. We've got TNO socks, we've got TNO pins, we've got signed posters, we've got digital merchandise, you can download video replays of past live shows, we've also got two types of shirts and a whole bunch of other goodies that all live at thenewsolympian.com slash merch. And if you want some special exclusive merch, you can go to our Patreon, thenewsolympian.com slash Patreon and get exclusive stickers and exclusive enamel pins and exclusive digital content as well. So many wonderful things. I'll finally be able to start mailing out patron rewards again once we're back in New York partway through January. So thank you folks for being patient there. But there's all sorts of cool stuff that you can get yourself if you are just looking for a little special something. Or if you're thinking, oh man, the holiday season did come and go and I didn't get someone something, get them some TNO stuff. Now this episode is from a live show. Maybe you are so jealous of the folks that got to be there live. And maybe you live in or near the Bay Area, California, and you're free on February 23rd, 2023. Whoa. Well, boy, do I have good news for you because I am coming to San Francisco on February 23rd to do a half Potterless, half the News Olympian live show. And you can get tickets right now at the slash live. It's going to be a blast. It's at Cafe du Nord. I'm very excited to perform in the Bay. I can't believe I've never performed there before, and I'm excited to finally make that happen. Now I've mentioned the Patreon in this mid-roll break. I want to thank the newest members of our team who have supported at thenewsolympian.com slash Patreon. Shout out to our newest Ultra God Tier patron, John Drielsma. Shout out to our newest Super God Tier patrons, Ethan Barkalo, Nina Moore, Rayla Matthews, and Rachel Jessica Dare. Shout out to our newest God Tier patrons, Jensen Goulet, Alice Schubert, nice last name, and got to take a deep breath. This is a return patron from the Potterless era. 3.141592653589207932789302884197169393751058209749445923078164 062862089986280319 
482-534-2117-0679. Those are the first couple digits of pi. And yes, that was my first take, and I did it all in one take. I'm very proud of myself. And shout out to our newest demigod tier patrons, Sebastian Laskela, Riley C., Mayir Nidi, Lexa Pupper, Elizabeth Wilson, and Allison Yuen, and a happy birthday shout out to Jill James. Thank you all so much for your support. May Hera bless you with good family times in the future, especially if things are a little rocky around the holidays. Sometimes that can happen, so hopefully any burned bridges can be mended soon, and any bridges that were doing well get extra reinforced and stuff. Now, let's say you're all caught up on the News Olympian and you're looking for a new podcast to listen to. I make a whole lot of podcasts. I'm a big independent podcast boy and I make a bunch of shows and I think they're all very good. And one of those shows that I make that I think is very good is called Modern Muckraker. Modern Muckraker is a scripted podcast that I worked on with a lovely team of very talented individuals. It is a show where I play the character of someone who is convinced he's completing the world's most important research. But really, the questions that we dive into and answer are things along the lines of how many IHOP locations can you visit? and eat free pancakes at during one National Free Pancake Day. Or if you lost half of an orchestra, what remaining instruments would create the worst possible sound? I interviewed highly overqualified experts, did lots of research, had a research team do research, a lot of fun stuff there. And you can listen to Modern Muckraker wherever you get your podcasts by searching for Modern Muckraker or going to our website, modernmuck.com. And finally, before we wrap up here, you're going to hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me. Others of them won't. The ones that are not read by me are inserted locally. So if you live in Texas, don't be surprised if you hear an ad for a kolache factory. They're not paying me to say this, but the kolache of the month is Garden Omelet, and the Denver Omelet one is really good. So I'm assuming the Garden Omelet one will be good as well. Kolache factory, hit me up. Let's make a partnership happen. But anyway, once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of the News Olympian. This episode of the News Olympian is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, if you listen to this podcast, it should be no secret that I am both a sports nerd and more of a traditional nerd. And when you think of these two types of nerddom, there's one thing that links them together, and that is card collecting. Whether you are looking to buy, trade, sell, or display a card collection of sports cards or Pokemon cards, you should check out Arena Club. ArenaClub.com is the place where you can do all of these things. I have recently made a purchase on the marketplace. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu, which is my favorite Pokemon, and I didn't even know that there was a Lieutenant Surge version of the Raichu. So that is a card that I now have, and it's not just some digital thing. I can have this card physically mailed to me. So there's a bunch of cool stuff you can do with Arena Club, including their slab packs. If you have ever done any sort of card collecting, you know that ripping packs or repacks can be a zero transparency type of thing where you're just hoping you get some sort of cool card. But what's nice about the slab packs with Arena Club is that you have full transparency. You see what available cards are there, what your percentage of getting them is, what the gradings are. So it is not a complete black box. You're going into this knowing what cards you might get. And I've been using Arena Club and it's pretty cool. It's very easy for me to look up different cards. I can favorite them, see what I want. And then whenever I want them shipped to me, I can get them shipped to me. And then I'll have the physical versions of them. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash TNO. Wow, that's a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slap pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash TNO for 10% off your first purchase. So if you want to collect some cards or rip open some packs in a more transparent way, whether you're a sports nerd or a Pokemon nerd or all sorts of nerds like me, you can use Arena Club today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. 
Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Westpod. All right, let's go. Let's go, everybody. Let's get right back in it. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It slaps so hard. God. Oh, my gosh. It's so good. All right. Hope everybody had a very fun intermission. I missed you all so dearly. Let's do more Percy Jackson. We've got a lot to discuss. Mm -hmm. So, where we last left our heroes, I was giving Kelly a very convoluted compliment. <laughs> Annabeth reveals that the legends say that Daedalus's workshop is in the center of the maze and that he's the only person who knew how to navigate it perfectly. If Luke finds him and wins him over, Luke would be able to navigate it very easily and then he could go wherever, whenever, much like Shakira, and <laughs> that would be a big, 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 big problem. Because basically Luke could wipe out Camp Half-Blood, then move on to Olympus, do an attack there. It would be bad news bears. It's a lot of ifs, but it still would be pretty bad. Yeah, it's definitely a hypothetical thing, but it's one of those like, let's just get rid of the worst case scenario if mm -hmm. we can help it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Beckendorf raises an interesting point. He asks, isn't Daedalus dead? Really putting the dead in Daedalus. <laughs> Quintus says that he would hope so, which... I thought it was interesting that he said hope and not think. <laughs> Quintus said that he'd hope so as he was alive 3,000 years ago. And I wrote, okay, not a god. <laughs> but that aside, he checks if he's right that the stories say that Daedalus fled the labyrinth. So would he really be in there anyway? Chiron says no one knows for sure. There are just rumors, many of which are disturbing, and one of which says he returned and disappeared back into the maze towards the end of his life. And then Chiron ends this by saying he may still be there. <laughs> because Chiron is always trying to make the plot as enticing as possible. So ominous. He's always building intrigue. Mm -hmm. Percy thinks to the man in his dream and feels like there's no way that he could still be alive all of these years later. He was looking so frail, meaning that you can call him GLaDOS because he's totally still alive. There is no way. <laughs> we'll play that game when they finally let me play it on Steam. Okay. <laughs> it was a Portal 2 joke. But, okay. <laughs> or Portal 1 slash Portal 2 joke. Anyway, because Percy's like, this dude's dead. I'm like, all right, this dude's alive. <laughs> Annabeth says that they have to enter and find the workshop before Luke does. They have to try to find Daedalus and convince him to help them and not Luke. And they also need to make sure that if Ariadne's string still exists, that it doesn't fall into Luke's hands, because mm -hmm. that would be a big problem. Percy suggests that they just blow up the entrance instead, which, you know, not a terrible suggestion. Not a horrible solution. Grover yes-ands this and immediately says, I'll go grab the dynamite. <laughs> Supportive friend Grover. We love to see it. But these beautiful boneheaded boys are too simple in their thinking <laughs> because Clarice says that they tried that in Phoenix and it didn't go so well. Annabeth confirms saying that the labyrinth is made of magical architecture. Can you speak to anything about magical architecture? Um, usually it's the kind of architecture that I have made. Mm. Then it becomes <laughs> magical architecture. If ever in New York City, she's made some good buildings. There's, there's some good stuff there. Annabeth says that it's made of magical architecture and it requires a lot of power to seal just one entrance. Apparently in Phoenix, Clarice demolished an entire building with a wrecking ball. I wanna see this. I wanna see Clarice cranking the levers <laughs> of a big cat wrecking ball. But she apparently demolished an entire building and the maze entrance only shifted a few feet. So the destruction route is not gonna work. 
Annabeth says that the better plan is to prevent Luke from learning how to navigate the labyrinth. Lee Fletcher suggests that they could just fight and set up a bunch of defenses near the entrance, but Chiron says that, yeah, sure, we will do that, but I don't know that that is going to be enough. And everyone is very somber because Chiron usually tries to be very optimistic about these sorts of things, so mm-hmm. the fact that he immediately was like, that's not going to work, my guy, is just a <laughs> bad sign for everybody. So nobody suggested my solution. Oh, ooh, rewrite the book. I What's know. your solution? So... This is right in the middle of the magical boundaries of camp, right? Mm -hmm. Who set the boundaries of camp and Uh. why can't we just like make it outside the boundaries of camp? Hmm. I don't know who decided that this is the circle and that it includes the woods, but can we just make like a like around the the boulder and then it's not part of camp and the boundaries will still keep them out. It's a pretty good solution. That was my thought. We'll have to ask Uncle Rick when it comes on the pod eventually. Annabeth insists that they find the workshop and the string before Luke. Percy is concerned by the fact that they don't know how to navigate it at all. But Annabeth says that she's been studying it for years and she knows the maze better than anybody. And Percy says, from reading about it? (laughs) She says, well, yes. He goes, that's not enough. She says, it has to be. And Percy goes, it isn't. She says, are you going to help me or not? love this little married couple arguing that they've got. Uh, It's perfect. They're so perfect for each other. Now, to break the awkward silence, but also to elevate the awkwardness, Mrs. O'Leary makes a loud squeak emit from the yak toy that she had been chewing the entirety of this scene, mm-hmm. beheads it, and it makes a very loud eek noise and just makes this awkward situation even more awkward. Great comedic timing for Mrs. O'Leary. <laughs> Gotta get her on the Laugh Bloods, the improv team. <laughs> Chiron clears his throat and says that they need a quest for someone to enter the maze, find the workshop, and prevent Luke from using the maze to infiltrate the camp. Clarice nominates Annabeth as the obvious choice for the leader, and the crowd murmurs in agreement. Narrative Percy says, quote, I knew Annabeth had been waiting for her own quest since she was a little kid, but she looked uncomfortable. And I'm very excited that we're getting this. I think in a book one episode, I said it would be very cool if one of the books had somebody else's quest and Percy just happened to be there. And we've kind of had that. So I like that it's not always just Percy has to do this, Percy has to do this, Percy has to do this. It's fun that he is going on other people's journeys and they get to Mm -hmm. be the lead. He's the main character, but he's not always the main character. It's it's refreshing. Yeah, he's the protagonist of the series, but Mm -hmm. he's not necessarily always the main character of everyone's story. Unlike Harry Potter, who's the most important person in every one's life in the entire series. Everyone revolves around him. Annabeth says that Clarice has contributed as much to this cause as she has, so Clarice should come along too. And in a twist that I wasn't expecting, Clarice turns down the offer immediately, saying that she won't go back in there. And Travis Stoll laughs and asks if she's chicken. Poor choice, Travis! (laughs) First, from the perspective of don't taunt the big, strong bully... But also, later, we learned that this is a very sensitive subject, so maybe if someone says they don't want to do something, you just leave it, (laughs) and you don't make a snarky comment. Narrator Percy explains this situation, saying, Clarice got to her feet. I thought she was going to pulverize Travis, but she said in a shaky voice, you don't understand anything, punk. I love that punk still got in there. (laughs) I'm never going in there again. Never. And then she just leaves, which is great. But also, the situation, not great. It's got to be really scary in there if Clarice is like, I'm out of here. <laughs> and she's already been there. It's, it's, I do not have high hopes for the labyrinth being a chill, fun maze. I love that we're getting different sides of Clarice now. It's because mm-hmm. she's not that one note school bully character. She actually has more to her that we're getting to see, which I really enjoy. Unlike like Draco Malfoy is the school bully, right? And people try to rewrite his story with fan fiction. But really, in actuality, of what's canon, he's one note 
until the very, very end. And then he's a like a slightly sharp version of that note. He's and then, the absolute worst and racist until the very end. And then he just doesn't do the worst possible thing exactly. to turn over Harry Potter to people who want to murder him. And then everyone's like, he's such a complex character. <laughs> no, he just didn't do the worst possible thing literally once. Yeah. And then like fan fiction tries to rewrite him to be this complex person, but I actually like that Clarice started off as that school bully mm-hmm. character, but you're getting to see the complexity of her actually in the canon story. She is actually complex. Malfoy is not complex. You just think Tom Felton is hot. Which he is, that's fine. <laughs> but it's just you projecting your crush on Tom Felton onto the character of Draco. Anyway, enough Harry Potter. This is a Percy Jackson podcast. So Travis feels bad, as he should. He tries to explain that this wasn't his intention to upset her. Chiron says that she's just had a tough year. I do really like complex Clarice mm-hmm. and some redemption arc Clarices we'll see in a little bit coming up later. Something that I did want to talk about that I had asked you before recording. Oh yeah, you gave me time to think about this one. That's good. <laughs> the fact that Clarice says punk, I think it's funny that she's taking after her dad Aries and putting punk into phrases. So I asked you if there were things from Barb and Joel that they say that I say it's like, oh, that's such a classic Joelism or a Barbism. Yeah, I short of texting them, I should have texted them and asked them what they think. They um, wouldn't have known. But they wouldn't have known either. I think that a lot of your, hi, Barb and Joel listening in the future. Um, <laughs> I think that a lot of your like cadences of speaking and ways of speaking yeah. are very similar to both of your parents, actually. Mm-hmm. But I think that when you watch sports, that is when <laughs> your Joelisms come out. Yeah, uh, I guess true. Just like specifically the way that you yell at refs, the things you yell at the refs, mm-hmm. the way you yell at the TV and the superstitions and the, yeah, it's all very, it's there. We're very superstitious mm-hmm. with, if the Yankees are doing well and you're sitting in that chair, you stay in that chair until they you're stop doing well, then you can go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Like to yell at the referees or, or the umpires. if you're out of the room and they start doing well, you're not allowed back in the room. <laughs> yeah, so you stay outside. That's happened to me before too. But it's then, like, Kelly, stay, stay up there. You're not coming back. Keep working. I'm like, I'm done. They're like, no. <laughs> but also our phrases of jubilation, like, well, Joel definitely does like a, yeah, baby. And I'll do that sometimes. Yeah. Or yeah. like a, let's go is yeah, a big one. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a big one. <laughs> and then also the same, like the way we'll yell at people and stuff mm-hmm. is is pretty good too. Or you like randomly clap that like the just clapping. like a single clap. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The other one that I did notice that I say from time to time that I know is like a phrase, but definitely Joel says a lot. Joel likes to call people dolts. Uh, and every now and then I'll call someone a dolt and it feels very much like a Joelism. <laughs> I was trying, when you asked me this, I didn't ask you in return what I say that my parents say. Uh-huh. Um, but my mom, <laughs> like similar to like somebody being an adult, she says, oh, you crumb. And I say oh. that sometimes, you crumb. I don't know if I've heard you say that, but that's a good one. I've said it like no. once or twice. I'm like, Mom? I know, I know, I know what you get from your parents. Say uh, the lower part of your body. What is this? Oh, leg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Apparently, it's a weird way to say. She the says word leg. leg and egg. But if you were to plead for something, it's what would you beg? Be? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Very cool and normal. Rhyme. Very cool and normal way to say beg, but then egg and leg. Yeah, I don't know. Apparently, it's a Midwestern thing in the U.S. It's a Midwestern thing. None of my family's from the Midwest. I don't know where. It came from. <laughs> that's, that's what makes me confusing. Yeah. Anyway, Percy Jackson. Chiron says that Clarice had a tough year. He then asks the group if there is a consensus on Annabeth leading the quest. And everyone nods except for Quintus. Mm. Percy picks up on this, but he doesn't think anybody else noticed this. So I'm just filing this in the back of my head of, 
Okay, interesting stuff <laughs> to consider. Chiron turns to Annabeth and says, quote, very well, my dear, it's your time to visit the Oracle. Assuming you return to us in one piece, we shall discuss what to do next. And I wrote, is he insinuating that the Oracle might rip her to shreds? <laughs> or does he mean after the quest? And then very soon we learn that that's what he was referencing. Percy says that waiting for Annabeth to return from the Oracle is scarier than going himself. He still has nightmares about the time that the Oracle walked up to him to give him the second prophecy that he heard in the series. And narrator Percy says that though he never felt threatened by the Oracle's presence, he notes that some campers were driven mad or had visions so real that they died out of fear. And at that point I realized, okay, Chiron did mean that. Yeah. That's scary. I yeah. don't know that we were this worried about the Oracle before book four, and I feel like retroactively we should have been way more concerned. <laughs> I thought that we had known this, but maybe I'm just like, I read them so fast. <laughs> maybe I just got here and like applied all that knowledge to the previous ones. <laughs> Narrator Percy says, I paced the arena waiting. Mrs. O'Leary ate her lunch, which consisted of a hundred pounds of ground beef and several dog biscuits the size of trash can lids. I wondered where Quintus got dog biscuits that size. I didn't figure you could just walk into Pet Zone and put those in your shopping cart. Pet Zone, don't worry, Australian folks, not a real not store. Real. <laughs> if they were doing an actual one, would have done Pet Smart, but mm -hmm. Pet Zone feels like it could be a legitimate place. Or my pet warehouse, which we've seen here a couple oh, of times that we that's keep walking one here. by. Ah. Yeah, because you made the joke that the warehouse was a pet. Oh, yes, you're I like, did. Good warehouse, good warehouse, good come warehouse. warehouse. No, no, you're a building. Oh, no. This is my pet warehouse. Oh, this wow. lasted like for five minutes after we passed the pet warehouse. <laughs> It's a good I'm joke. I'm just silently walking, directing us, and like, oh, my pet warehouse. Oh, good warehouse. Oh, I'm going to buy you a collar. Oh, your pet warehouse is so well trained. <laughs> Stay. Good warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> Chiron is in deep conversation with Argus and Quintus, and it seems like that there's a disagreement going on because Quintus keeps shaking his head. And at this point, I wrote a minute, are we sure that we can trust Quintus? Because he's being very grumpy, and it kind of just seems like he's just going against everything for no good reason. Like, why would you not support Annabeth going on the quest? Why are you arguing with Chiron? Just felt pretty weird. The Stoles and Tyson are racing mini chariots in the back part of the arena that Tyson apparently made out of armor scraps. Love this, that's very fun. Feel like that could be a mini game in a Percy Jackson video mm, game. Fun. Percy then goes for a walk and Juniper calls him over. And she says that Luke wasn't the only one that she saw enter that cave. She says that she saw Quintus poking around there about a week ago. She didn't bring it up in the meeting since he was there and that would have been super awkward. Percy asks what he was doing there, and if he went inside, Juniper says that she's not sure, and she didn't even see him come into the glade, which I had to Google and meant forest. I don't know if in Australia you call forests glades more often, but it made me think of my friend Tim, one of my high school buddies, is born and raised in Sydney. He went to America for a couple years because of his dad's job, went to high school with me, and then we were hanging out with him a bunch in Sydney, and he would do this thing. He loves to do this terrible, very bad American accent that is very <laughs> endearing, but he'll do that for some of the words that just like don't translate. So we were waiting outside his place and he was coming down the elevator, but he messaged and said, oh, I'm getting in the lift now. And he had messaged that to our group text. And I imitated what Tim was about to do. I was like, oh, elevator. Cause he always goes really heavy on the R's when he does his American <laughs> accent, the elevator. And then immediately two seconds later, Tim texts elevator. elevator. <laughs> A bunch of R's. <laughs> so yeah, Glade Forest, that's what I felt like. That was the fun like, new word I learned today. It's the magical version of a forest in uh, my opinion. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. true. That's very, very true. <laughs> 
<laughs> Juniper says that he was just there. She wants Percy to tell Grover that it's too dangerous. And on cue, Grover calls out for her. So she's got to go leave and be with Grover. And now I'm wondering, okay, can we trust Juniper? Because this just feels like Paul Blowfist all over again, where it's like, yeah, sure, you're nice and you're the love interest. Like, but what if you're evil? I don't know. I don't know. I feel like, I don't know, Quintus seems nice and he just feels like too obvious for him to be a bad guy. Like it reeks of Snape where it's like, oh, the creepy new teacher that actually turns out to be okay. Like I feel like that might be happening again with Quintus. And like, I don't know. We haven't really met Juniper before. She comes in and now she's all like, oh, Grover, don't go on the quest. Like what if Juniper was sent by Luke and was like, you know, use your hot nymphness to <laughs> distract Grover. He's too good at finding stuff. You know, I don't, uh, I'm, I'm very conflicted about who to trust and who not to trust. And I don't like that narrator Percy also is conflicted because now I'm double extra conflicted. I don't know. <laughs> Who to trust, man. I don't like it. <laughs> we should look up what a juniper tree is. I'm not actually sure that I know what a juniper tree is. See how I sidestepped answering any of those questions. Um, also, I was listening to the audiobook version of this. I read them through the first time, but I've been listening to it to before the show. And Quintus's accent in the audiobook is weird. I don't know. At first, it's unidentifiable. Then it kind of turns a little bit British. Then it turns a little bit Australian at some point. And then like back to British again. I was like, hmm, shifty. <laughs> Can't trust him. Can't trust him. So this conversation makes Percy really worried and he wants to talk to Annabeth as soon as possible. He's fed up with waiting. So even though it's against the rules, he heads towards the big house. And I was like, oh man, don't do it. But then the title of the chapter was Annabeth Breaks the Rules, not Percy Breaks the Rules. So I figured, all right, if you break the rules, probably gonna be okay. <laughs> he gets to the base of the stairs and he hears sobbing, but it's coming from below. And I wrote in my notes, does the big house have a basement? And the narrator Percy, the literal <laughs> next sentence says, I crept around the back of the stairs, the basement door is open. I didn't even know the big house had a basement. <laughs> You're one and the same. <laughs> we truly are. He looks inside and he sees two people in the corner. And as the narrator says, sitting amid a bunch of stockpiled cases of ambrosia and strawberry preserves. One was Clarice. The other was a teenage Hispanic guy in tattered camouflage pants and a dirty black t-shirt. His hair was greasy and matted. He was hugging his shoulders and sobbing. It was Chris Rodriguez, the half-blood who'd gone to work for Luke. And that's when I realized, ah, Quintus was about to say, the one in the basement. <laughs> But I think it's very cool that they've done this. I like it from a story perspective. I think it's very interesting for Chris to be back, but also just from a good group of people at Camp Half-Blood to try to take this guy who defected and said, no, you're going through a tough time. Come back to the camp. We're going to try to nurse you back to health. Mm -hmm. I think that's amazing. Hogwarts would never hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Look at what they did to Hagrid. Yeah, <laughs> Falsely point, yeah. accused, kick him out, banish him, give him a bad name. Mm -hmm. This is so cool that they've done this. It's so nice. It's yeah. really, really nice. And yeah. it makes me feel really good about the folks running Camp Half-Blood. Yeah. Chris is really not doing well. Clarice is consoling him, encouraging him to have more nectar. He screams, you're an illusion, Mary, G get away. Clarice assures him that her name isn't Mary, corrects him that it's Clarice and asks, do you remember? Percy knows that her voice sounds sweet and he didn't know that she was capable of sounding sweet. <laughs> and I really like the Clarice redemption arc that's coming. We're learning more about her. We're seeing different sides of her. Mm -hmm. It's really nice. I like the complexity of her character. Totally. Yeah. Chris yells about it being too dark. Clarice suggests that they could go outside. Chris says something about a thousand skulls and quote, the earth keeps healing him, which I don't know what that means, but I don't like it. <laughs> Do not like it at all. Clarice, now on the verge of tears, implores him to hold on until Mr. D returns. Again, I don't know if it's been established why Mr. D is gone, but. I don't remember. 
Uh, we, he needs to come back. It feels important. Yeah. And it feels like he could help out. And Clarice says that Mr. D is an expert in madness, so he could help Chris's situation. Yeah, never before have we asked for Mr. D to come back. But yeah, now, right. yeah. <laughs> That's how you know things are dire. Yeah. Chris calls her Mary again and says that there's no way out. And then he sees Percy and he says, the son of Poseidon, he's horrible. Percy quickly backs away and hopes that Clarice just thinks that this is another illusion from Chris and not him actually seeing Percy. Percy feels, though, that even though Chris was looking at him, he just gets the sense that he was talking about someone else. So I was wondering, all right, he's talking about Tyson? Is there another half-brother out there that we're going to meet in this book? Like, who are we talking about here with the son of Poseidon? I don't really know. Mm. <laughs> Trap door still intact. <laughs> Percy thinks further that Clarice might have feelings for Chris, citing that they didn't know each other at the camp before he turned evil, so maybe there's some pre-existing relationship between the two of them. Mm -hmm. Who's to say? Whatever it is, Percy can understand why she doesn't want to go back into the labyrinth, and he wonders what the heck happened to Chris in there. He then hears a crack from the door in the attic, so Percy jets out of there so that he can be very normal, like, oh, uh, Annabeth, how was the uh, <laughs> time of the Oracle? I certainly wasn't at the big house. <laughs> so back at the arena, Annabeth looks at Percy first, and he's not sure if it's a look of warning for Percy or just straight up fear of what her prophecy was. And she looks at Quintus and says that she got the prophecy and she will lead the quest to find the workshop. No one cheers, which is the normal reaction to someone finding out their quest, mm -hmm. but... Here we go because Chiron asks for the exact wording of the prophecy. So she says, first, I, uh, dot, 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 well, it said, and then I wrote, okay, there's no way that this is gonna be the full thing. She's <laughs> totally withholding information. So she says, you shall delve in the darkness of the endless maze, the dead, the traitor, and the lost one raise. And Grover pipes up saying, oh, the lost one, that's gotta be Pan, this is great. And Percy adds, yeah. Also, there's a part uh, where they said the dead and the traitor. <laughs> Not ideal, because that could be Kronos and Luke, so maybe not. He doesn't say all that. That was, you know, me paraphrasing. <laughs> Annabeth continues, you shall rise or fall by the ghost king's hand, the child of Athena's final stand. And I wrote, welp, but then I wrote, eh? Could be somebody else. There's a lot of people in the Athena cabin. And also, final stand doesn't necessarily mean death. I feel like the oracle doesn't mince words. Usually the oracle is straight up like, you're going to die, you're going to get lost, whatever. <laughs> So I don't know, I feel like Final Stand could be okay, but the crowd doesn't like the sound of it. Now, Selena warns not to jump to any conclusions because Athena has many children, so we're on the same wavelength there. Mm -hmm. Beckendorf asks who the Ghost King is. No one answers. Percy is worried that Nico's spirit summoning might have something to do with the Ghost King. Chiron asks if there are more lines because the prophecy doesn't seem complete and he always knows, of he course knows. he knows. He's he knows. gotta know. But he's right, it definitely felt like she was withholding information. Annabeth says she doesn't remember exactly. Hmm. And Chiron raises an eyebrow because Annabeth is famously known for her very good memory. So feels not great. And then she fidgets and says something about destroy with a hero's final breath. And she definitely a thousand percent knows what it is. Hmm. I mean, she knows. Come on. <laughs> Chiron asks, and? And Annabeth stands up and says, look, the point is I have to go in. I'll find the workshop and stop Luke and dot, dot, dot. I need help. She turns to Percy, asks if he'll come, and he immediately replies, I'm in. And I love this. I love this a lot, but I do hate the whole keeping part of the prophecy secret thing. Just feels like a recipe for disaster. I would hope that she talks to him a little bit more about it. We will see as this chapter continues. Narrator Percy, after he says, I'm in, notes, she smiled for the first time in days, and that made it all worthwhile. Aww. 
the exact noise Kelly made when she was audiobooking it earlier today. <laughs> I like had my headphones in and I went, oh, and Mike goes, yeah, that part. And I'm like, <laughs> I just knew, I just knew. She then asks Grover if he wants in because Pan is waiting. Grover has clearly pushed aside his fear of caves and undergrounds because he's definitely interested. And he says that he'll pack extra recyclables as snacks. Mm, I love that Grover has not realized that nobody else ever eats his garbage and recycling <laughs> snacks. Yeah. Annabeth says that they need Tyson too. And I'm very excited here because the whole band's together. We're getting everybody in a book. Let's yeah. go. I love this. I was it's very time. scared about who's going to get left out of this one because it usually feels like somebody is gone. But mm -hmm. the whole team together, I hope this happens. Mm -hmm. Feels really good. Tyson says, yay, blow things up time, which <laughs> wakes Mrs. O'Leary. Great. Chiron cautions her that this goes against ancient laws, though. The ancient laws state that only two companions are allowed because that's how this middle grade book series works. <laughs> Amba says that she needs all of them because it's important. Percy isn't certain why she is so certain, but he's just glad that Tyson is coming along for the ride because he can't fathom leaving him behind. And also Tyson will prove very useful because he's very large and he's very strong and he's good with machinery and he is completely fine with being underground. Feels like a top candidate for the role. Definitely. Chiron flicks his tail nervously and says, quote, consider well, you would be breaking the ancient laws and there are always consequences. Last winter, five went on a quest to save Artemis. Only three came back. Think on that. Three is a sacred number. There are three fates, three furies, three Olympian sons of Kronos. It is a good, strong number that stands against many dangers. Four, this is risky. And now I just, oh, I, I, I'm on top of not trusting people, now I'm worried, like, oh great, I was excited that all four people might go, but if someone's <laughs> gonna die, like, I don't want to be someone I care about. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> so I am Where's nervous. Where's the spare one that we can lose? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Bring somebody else. I don't know. There's a candidate later in this chapter that I think would be a great, great <laughs> person to bring along for many reasons. We'll see. Annabeth takes a deep breath and says, I know, but we have to please. And this just feels like whatever she's leaving out of the prophecy feels like there's a reason why she wants all the people in the mix. I'm intrigued to learn what the full prophecy is in chapter 14. <laughs> Percy can tell that Chiron doesn't love it. Quintus looks like he's deciding who won't make it back alive. Chiron <laughs> sighs and calls for the meeting to be adjourned and says that tomorrow at dawn, this crew will be sent out into the labyrinth. So Quintus pulls Percy aside as the council is dismissing, and he tells Percy that he's got a bad feeling about this, which again, I'm just, I don't know what to feel about Quintus. This seems like a really nice thing, but is that the problem because it's a nice thing? I don't really know, I'm very torn. Percy doesn't fully trust Quintus because of what Juniper said, but he sees true concern in his eyes when they make eye contact. Quintus is uncomfortable with Percy going, but also anyone going. He's worried about all of them. And he reminds Percy that the labyrinth is meant to fool you. He says it tries to distract you, which is especially bad for half-bloods who are an easily distractible lot. Percy asks if he's ever been down there, and Quintus confirms, but he says it was a long time ago, and he barely escaped with his life. Most aren't that lucky. Hmm. He grabs Percy's arm and encourages him to keep his mind on what matters most. And I thought, all right, well, Annabeth is going on the quest, so that should be pretty easy. <laughs> Shouldn't be too hard. And then he gives Percy a silver tube that is so cold, Percy almost drops it. It's a whistle, apparently. And Quintus says that it's a dog whistle for Mrs. O'Leary. Love it. Which is pretty cool. Perfect. I love this. Yes. Anything where we can get more Mrs. O'Leary mm -hmm. in the mix for a functional purpose? Hell yeah, baby. Let's go. Great. 
Percy is about to ask how it will work in the maze. Quintus knows that he's about to ask this, so he explains that he's not positive that it will, but Mrs. O'Leary is a hellhound and can appear when called no matter how far away she is. Mm -hmm. Quintus would feel better if Percy had it and says that if he really needs to use it, he can do so, but he warns that it's made of Stygian ice. And Percy, so that everyone reading can understand, goes, what, ice? <laughs> and Quintus explains that it means that it's crafted from the river Styx. It is hard to craft and it's very delicate. It cannot melt, but it'll shatter after one use, which is awfully convenient. Mm -hmm. Very convenient. Very convenient. One time. One... Get out of jail free card. Basically. Yep. <laughs> Percy thinks back to the last time he was given a gift right before a quest, which is the cool shoes that Luke gave him. And now he's also not trusting Quintus. Like, ah, I've been down this road before. But Quintus seems so nice. And Percy notes, well, Mrs. O'Leary likes Quintus, and that's got to count for something. Which is <laughs> <laughs> great. Percy feels bad that he could ever have mistrusted Quintus, but then he remembers that he once trusted Luke, so he's back to being torn. I'm very torn. It's very hard. I don't know how to feel. <laughs> Percy thanks Quintus and promises to himself that he won't use the whistle, meaning he definitely will use the whistle, <laughs> and he darts off to find Annabeth. So Percy goes to the Athena cabin for the first time ever, big step, mm -hmm. you know, going to the parents' house, basically. <laughs> He calls inside, he gets no answer, so he just goes in anyway. And I was thinking, is that allowed? Can you just go into other people's cabins? Yeah. I guess so. So he goes in and narrative Percy says, the place was a workshop for brainiac kids. The bunks were all pushed against one wall as if sleeping didn't matter very much. <laughs> Most of the room was filled with workbenches and tables and sets of tools and weapons. The back of the room was a huge library crammed with old scrolls and leather bound books and paperbacks. There was an architect's drafting table with a bunch of rulers and protractors and some 3D models of buildings. Sounds right up your alley. Cool. Huge old war maps were plastered to the ceiling. Sets of armor hung under the windows. Their bronze plates glinting in the sun. I mean, this place sounds pretty cool. Sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Sounds like a nice place. Yes. Maybe not for like sleeping because they've <laughs> pushed all their bungs aside, but it sounds like a nice place to work. Yes, for sure. And did it all? Yeah. Sets of armor hanging under the, I don't know if you don't want, don't have that hanging. That you mm. Put it safely on the Good ground point. or yeah. in a cupboard or something. <laughs> Annabeth is in the back of the room studying scrolls. Percy says, knock, knock. And she gets startled, says that she didn't hear him come in, welcomes him in. Percy asks if she's okay. She frowns and says that she's doing some last minute Daedalus research. But she's worried because the stories don't really match up. So this map that she's devising is basically a map that leads from nowhere to nowhere, not particularly helpful. Narrative Percy says, I thought about what Quintus had said, how the maze tries to distract you. I wondered if Annabeth knew that already. And then Percy says, we'll figure it out, which is the exact dynamic of Mike and Kelly Schubert, where <laughs> Kelly is the planner. She tries to plan stuff. Mm -hmm. She tries very much to put everything together and then sometimes can get a little flustered with like too many options. Mm -hmm. And then me not knowing how to figure it out, I will say, don't worry, we'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> but we eventually do. Yeah, we usually do. You're right. Like, you know, 95% of the time. Yeah, I don't know how we're going to get there, but I know that we will get there and we get there. It's all right. So she adds that she's wanted a quest since she was seven, but she's clearly sad. Percy assures her that she's going to be great leading this quest. She looks at Percy with gratitude, but then looks at the scrolls with worry and says that she's concerned and questions whether or not she should have dragged Tyson, Grover, and Percy into this mess. Percy affirms that they wouldn't miss it. They're her friends. They're going along for the ride no matter what, but he can tell something is still up. So he asks if it's the prophecy and he asks what the last line was. Narrative Percy then says, quote, then she did something that really surprised me. She blinked back tears and put out her arms. And I thought, oh no, this is bad. It's going to be a bad thing about Percy, isn't it? But then Narrative Percy says, I stepped forward and hugged her. Butterflies started turning in my stomach into a mosh pit. <laughs> 
All right, big moves, Adorable. big moves. Wow, let's, let's go, let's First go. First holding hands, now they're hugging. Look, we can pause Percy worrying about whether or not he's gonna die. Big steps in the relationship. Let's be happy for a little bit. Okay, back to worry. He pats her on the back, says it's gonna be okay. Percy says, I was aware of everything in the room. I felt like I could read the tiniest print on any book on the shelves. Annabeth's hair smelled like lemon soap. She was shivering. I like that his ADHD hyperfocus kicks into gear when something cool is he's happening. all the details in, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He's like, I must remember this moment, our first sentimental hug. <laughs> Annabeth realizes that Chiron may be right. She's breaking the rules, but she adds that she can't imagine doing the quest without Percy. It just feels right for him to be there. Percy tells her not to worry about it then because they've solved loads of problems before and they will do it again. Annabeth says, this is different. I don't want anything to happen to dot, 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 any of you. Meaning she's most concerned about Percy and then kind of concerned about everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Then someone behind Percy clears their throat. It's a fellow Athena camper, Malcolm. And I wrote, all right, Malcolm can be the final stand guy. <laughs> Bring him, don't care about Malcolm. He fits the bill of Athena cabin. Let's, is human sacrifice Malcolm? It's this book's Phoebe, bring him along, let's go. <laughs> I don't care about him. He says that practice is starting and the Chiron told him to come get Annabeth. He is incredibly embarrassed about encroaching on this tender moment. It is quite obvious. Percy says, we were just looking at maps. <laughs> and even narrator Percy goes, this was stupid. We fell into a hole. We were looking at maps. <laughs> There's nothing. <laughs> Malcolm stares at him and goes, okay. <laughs> and then I was like, damn it, I like Malcolm, no. <laughs> this is such a good reply. Annabeth tells Malcolm to tell Chiron that she'll be right there, and Malcolm leaves swiftly to get out of this awkward situation. Annabeth rubs her eyes and tells Percy that he can leave so that she can prep for archery. Percy nods, but he's just very confused. Everything's just all in flux. He asks Annabeth about the hero's last breath line. Annabeth says that she doesn't know which hero, but Percy says that he's asking a different question. Quote, no, something else. I was thinking the last line usually rhymes with the one before it. Was it something about... Did it end in the word death in italics? Very smart question, but very scary question. And it's even scarier because Annabeth just stares at the scrolls and says, you'd better go, Percy. Get ready for the quest. I'll, I'll see you in the morning. <sighs> Didn't answer Not the question, answer. which means yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. Mm -hmm. Narrative Percy then says, I left her there, staring at maps that led from nowhere to nowhere, but I couldn't shake the feeling that one of us wasn't going to come back from this quest alive. Which is very scary and somber, but look, it's only the fourth book, so <laughs> I think they're gonna be okay. That is the end of chapter four, and that is the end of this episode of The Newest Olympian. <laughs> Give it up to Kelly for being a guest for The Newest Olympian here. For everyone listening to the podcast in the aftermath, thank you very much for listening. Until next time, I'll proceed you later. But now for everybody here, let's do some Q&A. Hello, folks listening at home. This is not the end of the episode for you. We're going to put in the Q&A that the folks in Melbourne got to hear. Don't worry. Just taking a break here for a couple more locally inserted ads because this is such a long episode. But before we get into those, I have a couple notes about the Q&A. At one point, I am trying to remember a bird that we saw in Australia, and I don't say the correct word. The correct word for the bird is cassowary. I will say something incorrect, and I meant to say cassowary. 
Also, if you're wondering why some of the email subject lines are anti-Sydney, when I ask people to send in emails for the Q&A at live shows, I ask if there's a nearby city that they don't like or that they have a grudge with. And I say that the email subject line can either be pro whatever city they are in or anti a neighboring city because I think city rivalries are silly and ridiculous. And it's always fun to hear the reasons why other cities don't like their neighbors. So that would explain some Sydney hostility or some very pro Melbourne subject lines. Finally, halfway through the Q&A, the audio is going to get a little bit worse because the official big audio recording thing that the venue had set up just stopped recording. And then we had to go to my backup system, which is not as good as theirs, but it still sounds pretty nice. Just not as crystal clear quality. I'm very happy with how clean the audio for this episode came out, but for whatever reason, their system worked and that's why you always use backups. And that's what I did. Anyway, without further ado, we're going to have another quick set of ads. Some of them may be read by me. Others of them won't be read by me. The ones that are not read by me are inserted locally. So if you live in Houston, Texas, maybe you'll hear an ad for the Houston Rockets, the local basketball team who just lost to my New York Knicks last night. <laughs> but anyway, once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of the News Olympian. This is a good one, and I, and I wanted to address this. So this is from Emily. The subject line is Melbourne Show, M-E-L-B-I-N. <laughs> when I had first said that I was going to try to come to Melbourne, I had said Melbourne, which I know is very wrong. I was sorry. I was pronouncing it the way you spell it. <laughs> then I quickly converted to saying Melbourne, which I have been told is like more correct. But then people were still saying to me, oh, you should say it like Melbourne, saying it like that. And I was like, that just sounds like I'm doing a bad accent. <laughs> like, it's one thing to pronounce a city properly if it's in a different language, like, you know, saying Buenos Aires or something instead yeah. of like Buenos Aires. <laughs> but this is still English. You just ignore R's here. <laughs> so it just sounds like I'm doing a bad caricature of an Australian accent. So I feel like I have to mispronounce it properly to make it clear that I'm not trying to dunk on Australia. <laughs> it's a weird dynamic by being English, but Australian English. Mm-hmm. I, don't know, I wouldn't be I, like I wouldn't be like if I was doing a show in like London, you know, I wouldn't like throw a British flair onto you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, like. Although Melbourne is much more fun to say than Melbourne. Yeah, it's fun yeah. to be like Melbourne, but it feels like <laughs> it just feels rude and mean. Anyway, Emily has a question aside from this. <laughs> Emily says, hey, hey, hope you're having fun here. We are. Don't worry. What is your favorite monster and what is your silliest reason for liking it? Ooh. Favorite monster and silliest reason is for Mrs. liking it. Is Mrs. Illyria monster? I mean, technically. She's Mrs. Illyria's a hellhound. I also really liked, um, I don't know if you've gotten here yet. <laughs> Just going to hold on that. Okay. <laughs> I can't remember what book that's in, so I'll just, I'll just have an answer, but that I'll think of a different one. I would say, I don't know if Charon counts as a monster, but he had a really nice suit, and I respect that. If he doesn't count, then I guess I'd go with Krusty because his very tacky suit was a fun vibe. Mm -hmm. So that would be the silly reason is that I'm picking monsters based off of clothing choices. <laughs> oh, Kelly the monster. Kelly the cheerleader monster. Oh, yeah. Kelly with an I who spells her name yeah, wrong. Yeah, but yeah, the, yeah. The, my reasoning is because I can't quite understand what she is. I don't actually remember. And that's why I like her because she was a very complicated description. And also she spelled her name wrong. So it wasn't like... Kelly. It was Kelly. It's a different Kelly. It's a different <laughs> Kelly. So you're safe. All right. This next one comes from Ruby. <laughs> the subject line is 10 foot tall scorpions. <laughs> hey, Kelly and Troops, what's been the weirdest thing about Australia so far? So the, the weirdest, weirdest thing. 
I do find it funny that you guys have switches for every single outlet. <laughs> you have to like switch it on and off. But I do think that's like a nice safety feature to have. It's, just it's kind of actually funny. helpful because I've gotten shocked by a couple by putting our adapter in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so it's actually very helpful and I appreciate that. I don't understand why they're different than every other switch I've ever seen. Like in every other country, they're all the... Right, it's switches. just a little push, yeah. little thing. I kind of like them, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but yeah. Yeah, I don't know. The, the weirdest thing. Weirdest thing. Everyone is shockingly nice here. Everybody's Everyone very is nice. Everybody's like, very too nice. nice. Way, <laughs> like exactly suspiciously, suspiciously nice. But nice. <laughs> no, it's it's been a lovely time. Yeah, We've had a very good time here. Now, here's a question from Kat. I was wondering what you and Kelly thought the strangest Australian animal was and which animal you thought was the best. I know which animal you dislike the most. It was the I don't know, snakes? The, no, the dinosaur one. The blue Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was it cassowara? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, mm. we saw one at the zoo, and there was an electric fence between us, and I was like, this feels like Jurassic Park. Right <laughs> I'm pretty fan. sure this fence is broken, and we need to get out of here. Definitely last place, Did especially like because one. we were kind of scared of it, and then I don't know if it was someone at the zoo or someone after the fact when we said we didn't like them. They were like, oh, yeah, they'll just, like, peck you to death because they're territorial. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Glad that's at the zoo. <laughs> But I guess it makes sense because the Sydney Zoo also had the lions escape. Yeah. Thankfully, like, after we visited the zoo. Just like four days after we visited. Yes. Pretty close to when yeah. we were going. Yeah. Uncomfortably close. Yeah. Now, um, favorite animal. I really enjoyed the, what was it? The jumping rock wallaby? Yeah, right? those are, those are that cute. was very cute. I enjoyed oh, that. Oh, so this is ones that we've seen. Or just anything. You can pick one you haven't seen if you I if like you uh, platypuses. We did see the duckbill platypuses. Yeah, we did see the really duckbill nice. platypuses. And they're just like... Just super interesting animals. Everything that you can think of mm -hmm. that would be unique and weird around an animal, they've got it. It's cool. Yeah, they were good. I was a big fan. I loved them as a kid because I thought they had a cool, silly name. And the fact that I got mm -hmm. to actually see some here was very nice. Yeah. All right, this one is from Mahala. It says, TNO Pro Melbourne. Hey, Shubes and Kelly. I'm an audience member tonight in Melbourne. You mentioned on the pod that burger rings were Kelly's favorite. Yeah. So what has been your favorite Australian food and drink that you've tried while you've been here? Love the live show and wonderfully appropriate shirt shoes. Thank you, thank you. Drink flat white, mm -hmm. obviously. Sure. <laughs> Favorite food that we've had, I mean, snack for me was burger rings. Yeah. But like food that we've gone out for. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> There's been a lot of really great sushi. Like there all has of the sushi been. The seafood's very been good. really solid. Yeah, the seafood's been really good. I'm trying to think, I guess I left my phone back there. I was gonna, I had, Look I've been taking pictures, pictures of all, of all the, the like food and the snacks that we've yeah. had. There was, a, there, what was it? There was one of the snacks that I really enjoyed. It was different. It wasn't burger. I mean, I do enjoy a good burgering. I have enjoyed Tim Tams as well, obviously. Is it the tomato one? Oh yeah. What was that one called? It was the tomato Sam? chips. It was like Sam Boy. Sam Boy. Yeah. Those were yeah, good. Those were good. those. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. They were tasty. Drinks. I mean, like Milo has been good. Classic little like chocolate <laughs> drink. No complaints. Tim Tam slamming with Milo has been A plus stuff. <laughs> Had some good wine as well. Yeah. 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 It's been it's been good. Yeah. Everything's been everything's great. been quite tasty. Yeah. We've eaten quite well. Yes. And every time I go there. get a coffee, I pick a pastry as well. Those have all been amazing too. Yeah. So. And the place that we ate at last night around here, the yeah. Asian fusion place, what was it called? Uh, Koi Koi. They're yeah. also not paying me to say this, but they were also very, very good. good. Yeah, food and they were really very solid. nice. The kitchen had closed and we walked up and asked for a table and they said the kitchen was closed, but we'll let you in. In our defense, we did arrive at 2.59 and they said the kitchen closes at three. So I was like, <laughs> <laughs> come on. <laughs> Thankfully they let us in. And it was very, very nice. But yeah, that food was all very, very tasty. But yeah, it's all been 
quite delicious. Yeah. Really good stuff. A democracy sausage on Saturday. Yeah. Democracy, democracy sausage. Okay. Sausage. Does it have to be on Saturday? We fly out tomorrow morning. You get you get free sausages when you oh, vote? Wow. We get stickers. What are we doing? <laughs> what? Wow. Wow. That's Maybe, way better. I also don't think we could vote. Yeah. And get could one. we still <laughs> get a sausage? Do we just just stand like there pretend. Yeah, get in line and say, oh, we definitely voted. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. All right. I'll uh, wow. Okay. Well, it's a shame. Next time. Next time. Next time. <laughs> when we move we'll come, here yeah, and, then, and, then yeah, and then get citizens. the right to vote and then It'll vote. It'll be a and very we'll long get... process to get our democracy <laughs> sausages, but we'll do it. Everyone recommended it, so we should do it. <laughs> Okay, this one is from, is it Catch or? Yes. Okay, cool. Catch says, hi, Mike and Kelly. Mike, it seems like you liked the Percy series from the start more than you did Harry Potter. Do you think that you would have liked it as much if you hadn't read Harry Potter first? I feel like, yes, just because the first page of Percy Jackson is so strong. The first page basically telling you don't read this book had mm. me hook, line, and sinker. Like, that is so <laughs> intriguing. For the opening page, to be like, put this book down. It's but like, I do Ugh. think that Harry Potter thawed you to the idea of fantasy novels being good. So I think you were, like, prepped for, for yeah. liking Percy Jackson more. Right. I think so. I think yeah. so. But I feel like I would have liked it from the jump just because Probably. it very quickly establishes, like, this is a book that is not necessarily super mythology-based. Percy's very much a New Yorker. Here you go. And I was very much on brand yeah. and ready to roll with that. Yes, definitely. Bonus question for both of you. If you had to be a damsel slash manzel in distress, <laughs> who would you prefer to have coming to your rescue, Percy or Harry? I would pick Percy. I probably would too. Why yeah. would you pick Percy? Because he's very similar to you. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> That's very sweet. I would pick Percy just because so far only one of Percy's friends has died. <laughs> and Harry doesn't have as good of a track record oh, no. with people staying alive <laughs> along the way. So that would be uh, my thought there. Okay, this email comes from Vidi. What has been your favorite Greek myth slash PJO side quest slash storyline slash lore so far? So any sort of like myth story offshoot type of thing in the first three books and change? My favorite one hasn't happened yet. Okay. So I'll okay. just I won't say. leave it as is. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Um, I did like that book three, I, I like that I didn't realize it until we did the myth episode with Dr. Boy after the fact, knowing that a lot of those were Hercules's labors, I thought was mm -hmm. cool, especially because Hercules kind of became a character in book three. Yeah. I thought that was just like a nice touch of like things that I'd heard about but didn't really know, especially it being some of the not as famous ones like fighting the Hydra. So I think I that would that be my cool. second my second one as well, would be the Hercules. Oh, yeah. Nice, nice, nice. And uh, what myths or characters are you looking forward to potentially meeting in the books? So I guess you can't really answer that My favorite that one, one is the one I'm looking forward yeah. to you potentially <laughs> getting to in the, in the books, yes. I guess for me, it would probably just be trying to see every single character that I've come across with in Hades the video game. Yeah. Obviously, the fact that Daedalus came along here is pretty cool. So just any time, because really that is my entire frame of reference for Greek <laughs> mythology. So anything where I can be like, oh, I kind of know that. Mm -hmm. I feel like that would be exciting. And I think doing the characters like Daedalus where they're very briefly mentioned and I don't know their whole deal. I think that that's very fun just because yeah. like, you know, a little bit. And that was fun with Artemis. Like I knew her vibe, but not really her story. So mm -hmm. to, to get to learn about her last book was pretty cool. So I think that would be my answer. Anyone that is, you know, somewhat 
a featured character in Hades. Yes. Would be my selection. Okay, this one is from Oscar, subject line Melbourne Transport. Number one, what do you think <laughs> of Melbourne Transport? <laughs> it's good. Took the tram. Took the tram. Yeah. It worked. <laughs> it worked. Yep. A plus. Two, you have to get a full back tattoo of something Percy Jackson related. Hmm. Have to? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a question mark at the end. I guess it's like, if you had to, what would you get? Example, an Annabeth and Percy under a wedding arch or Mrs. O'Leary wearing TNO merch. Yeah. Maybe we'll make dog onesies. So we'll have to consider it. Mrs. O'Leary and the TNO socks. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is that what you would get if you had to get a full back tattoo yeah. of a Percy Jackson? I'd probably get some... I don't know, some pretty version of like wave, something more like artistic and a little bit more mm -hmm. symbolic than like Mrs. O'Leary and Tina Sons. Yeah, yeah. I feel like if I had to go full back tattoo, I feel like I would want something that maybe like had a scene from each of the stories or something, but I also would never get a full back tattoo. I'm, I'm imagining you with this pattern tattooed Ooh, on Ooh, the seahorse pattern. Yeah, all at the back, that would be good. Save me on laundry bill. <laughs> I could just wear myself to the yeah. show. <laughs> okay, uh, this one is from Kit. Says, hey, Mike and Kelly. Firstly, shout out to Kelly for loving burger rings. Burger nice. rings. <laughs> also, are there 10 foot tall slash long scorpions? Are they better or worse than the blast-ended scroots? Discuss. That's funny because it was something I was thinking about when <laughs> reading about it. I feel like blast-ended scroots are worse due to the blast-ended nature. Yeah, probably. Because they feel like scorpions with extra steps. <laughs> yeah. And they just feel extra scary. Yeah. Okay, so this one is from Maddie. Says, hello, it's great to have you both here in Melbourne. Very exciting and did not think the show would ever happen here. I'm glad it did. Two-part question to Mike and Kelly. Pigeons are known to be referred to as rats of the sky. <laughs> Given that you're a pro pigeon podcast, what bird do you think is the rat of the sky and why? Seagulls. Seagulls. All right. Yeah. <laughs> and not only just because I hate them and they're smelly and gross, but also because seagulls love to steal food. Rats, at least in New York City, also love to steal mm -hmm. food. It feels like it works yep. on both fronts. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Now, this is the follow-up to Mike. When was the moment you knew you wanted to marry Kelly? Enjoy the rest of your stay in Melbourne, the superior Australian city. <laughs> the moment I knew, I think, was when we were in Houston in my apartment. At one point, we were talking about our upcoming long-distance relationship situation where within, like, a couple weeks of each other, you got a job in New York and I got a job in Seattle. Mm -hmm. And we knew we were going to be with it in the long haul. And when we were talking about it, and I had been through failed long-distance relationships in the past, and I was all worried about them and scared and blah, blah, blah. We were talking about it, and I just wasn't worried at all, like 0% worried. I was like, yeah, this is going to work. And then internally, I do remember thinking this while talking to you. I was like, oh, because I'm going to marry this girl. <laughs> so I just like knew. I was like, I am not phased. This is going to be totally fine. What about you? When did you? This is me taking this out. When did you want to marry me? I think that the moment for me was when we went to one of my best friend's weddings after we had been dating long distance for a couple of months. So this was a few months later mm -hmm. and you would come in town for the wedding. And after the wedding, we were talking just about like relationships and how I had known her for a long time and how she'd fallen in love with her husband. And, and the conversation somehow took a turn towards do we see ourselves getting married? <laughs> and I remember you just like, not saying anything and it made me very very sad because i didn't know and i was like oh, oh i feel sad 
oh no, wait, that means, oh, I, I would like to marry him. <laughs> and he's not saying anything. That's why I'm sad. And then I got like very visibly sad. And you're like, what's wrong? Do you remember this? No, whose wedding was this at? This is at Allie's wedding. At Allie's, okay. Yeah. And you were like, what's wrong? And I was like, well, you're not saying that you want to marry me. And I just realized I'd really like to marry you. You're like, oh no, no, I'd really like to marry you too. <laughs> 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 I don't remember this. But I was sad for like a full like hour before you were like, okay, what is up? What's going on? Oh, yeah. No. no, sorry that I had you sad for an hour. I should have done that immediately. <laughs> this was all in my head. Uh, okay, okay, so, okay. You know. All right, all right. Well, I guess once you started showing it, I picked up on it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so this one comes from Allie. Have you come to your senses about the national treasure that is Bluey? Bingo is definitely superior, but compared to Coco, Bluey is a saint. Don't know, is Coco, I guess, another character in the, in the show? show? I don't know. Oh, um, yeah, Coco. Yeah, no. Okay, I don't know. I will say, since having my Bluey hot take, since that episode was recorded and came out, I went to my sister's place in Dallas, and she's a big Bluey fan, and I had mentioned my Bluey hot take to her, and she was like, let me show you an episode from season three. It's gotten better. And I will mm -hmm. say, we watched the chess episode from season three, and it was a lot better. Yeah. Like, Bluey was less of a jerk. Bluey's calmed down. Bluey's calmed yeah. down a little bit. It wasn't just like Bluey running around yelling and being mean for like 80% of the episode. And then at the very end, they're like, Bluey, don't do that. Bluey's like, okay, fine. <laughs> so I feel like it's gotten better. And then also recently, I think the voice actors for the parents were on one of the late night shows and they yeah. were really sweet and endearing. And also it's just been really cute to see a bunch of kids in Australia with Bluey stuff. Yeah. So I feel like I'm melting, but I do still kind of stand by like, I do still feel like it's a show about parenting for parents. I think so. But yes. I was also assured when I had my Bluey hot take that a couple of people on Facebook, one of which was like a person who works with kids at the target age of Bluey, which I guess is like oh, five cool. to six years old. They were like, kids at that age group are more media literate than you will think. Mm. And they will understand the that whole point wrong. of the show. Like, yeah, Bluey was being a jerk, but then, uh. they, you know, they learned it. And I guess that does make sense. But my experience to Bluey was... Aurora watching it at age three. So I guess the problem is like she was not, so maybe my thing was not that it wasn't for kids, it wasn't for the kid I knew who was watching Bluey, <laughs> who definitely liked the parts where Bluey was loud and, and annoying more yeah. than the parts where L Bluey learned valuable life lessons about not being rude yeah. to Bingo, who is so nice. Yeah. <laughs> so wait, are you saying that 30 year olds are not the target audience for Bluey. I think they should be because it's a parenting uh, show for parents. <laughs> <laughs> and kids can also watch it too, yeah. is I think my thought. As long as they are, I guess, at least five or media literate enough to understand that the point of the show is that, <laughs> at a, least in the earlier seasons. Yeah. So, yes, I've definitely come to my senses a mm -hmm. bit more. Also, Allie continues loving the show so far, and Kelly's dress is fantastic. Your shirt is awesome too, but I feel like people say that a lot. <laughs> it's a good dress. Thank you. Okay, so this one is from Luke. It may be cold, but at least Melbourne has nightlife. Sydney sucks. <laughs> it's the, the subject problem line. with that uh -huh. is that I go to bed at 6 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> because, because I wake up at 1 a.m. for work. Because so, she's because been keeping I'm working East Coast, East Coast hours. <laughs> Last night, as we were driving home from the live show, seeing all the buildings lit up, I was like, oh, this is really cool. I was like, I wonder if all the Christmas like bridges are lit up, and they weren't. I was like, oh, this is really cool. I was like, this is the first time I've seen it dark. <laughs> I mean, I guess I do see it dark from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m., right, right, right. but just outside of our window. Uh -huh. And yeah. That's but yes, it. driving back from the live show last night, Melbourne looked a lot 
cooler yeah, than it was really neat. the daytime. Just it felt mm-hmm. like all the lit up stuff was really nice and yeah. oh, they all have funky lights and stuff. I get it. So we yeah. grew more of an appreciation yes. for Melbourne when we finally got to see the night after six days of being in Melbourne and yeah. going to bed at like sunset time every single time. Yeah. Now, Luke continues here. First saying to make sure that we tried noodle night markets, don't worry, oh, we, we went. We went on the- It was great. We went on the weekend when I was allowed to stay up late. <laughs> I stayed up till 8 p.m. <laughs> it was, it was great. quite delicious. Now, Luke's question, you're playing dodgeball, six person team. You are on the team. Which five teammates do you pick? Side characters of Harry Potter and Percy Jackson only. I think that's a fun question to end on the show. There are so many other questions, but we are running out of time. So I did not hear what you said. Sorry. <laughs> because I was thinking, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Right. We didn't say that. Yeah. Because yeah. we're here in the future. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. An I American hope you holiday all year. understand how to properly celebrate, which is eat stuffing and get into arguments with your relatives that you don't see that often. Yep. It was funny when we did get here because it's becoming more and more of a thing in America. Like once Halloween ends, it's like, it's Christmas, baby. Move over Thanksgiving stuff. And people get grumpy about it and all that. Mm-hmm. But that happened here when we were in Australia. We were like, wow, Australia really they just, really they the really just jumped yeah. the gun and go straight to Christmas. And it mm-hmm. took us like a couple of weeks to be like, oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> they don't That's celebrate not. it at all. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the problem was our other time with being international around this time of year was we were in Canada in late November, early December, and they have Canadian Thanksgiving around the same time. Mm-hmm. So that at least like, kind of was a thing. Yeah. But yeah, we it took us a little bit to be like, oh, wow, there's so many Christmas decorations up. Wow, my goodness. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Shout I, out to your bridge that says, slay my name, slay my name on yeah. it. That's <laughs> really good. And I hope you don't get sued by Beyonce <laughs> and the rest of Destiny's Child. I just got so distracted because I was like, oh, no, I got to get to bed right after this lunch. And I was like, oh, it's Thanksgiving. I don't have to go to bed. Uh-huh. <laughs> We're going to stay up late 9 o'clock bedtime tonight for Kelly. Tim Tam slamming into the <laughs> evening. <laughs> so the question that zooped over your head yeah. was you're playing dodgeball. You have five mm-hmm. teammates made up only of side characters from Harry Potter and Percy Jackson. Who do you have on your team? Are the trios not? I feel like anyone not in a trio could count. Is Tyson part of the trio? I want to say no so that I can pick him Me because too. he is canonically. <laughs> if this is draft he's picking, canonically, I him first. He's, oh, yeah, let's have picking. a draft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Tyson. <laughs> so, no, I don't want to give you a <laughs> draft pick. All right, so you go first. Tyson. Tyson. As we've seen, mm. he does well yeah. in dodgeball. So. All right, I'm going to pick. Hmm. I'll take Charlie Weasley. <laughs> Canonically very good at sports, canonically buff. Hmm. Ginny Weasley. Okay. Because you need some agile players as well, and she seems on the right lines as a chaser. Okay, okay. I'm going to pick Travis Stoll just because mm. I feel like trickiness is good in dodgeball, and I feel like head games are a thing, so having a son of Hermes craftiness I feel like would mm. would be helpful. It's not always being the biggest and the strongest. Sometimes you got to outthink them. Going with Beckendorf okay. for more strength. Okay, yeah. okay. Do the gods count as side characters? <laughs> <laughs> Not in the trio. Nah, we should pick like campers slash students. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna say, if you pick Zeus, he's not gonna lose. Well, I was gonna pick Hermes because he's very fast. <laughs> um, <laughs> Ooh, Luna Lovegood. She's okay. gonna be, re- she's gonna know something about 
some sort of weird dynamic. Like she's gonna be super outside of the boxy with it. I'm good with you picking that one because I think she'll get distracted by the <laughs> the aura around your head and the things know. flying out of your. I feel like she's gonna get real funky with it. Okay, sure. Um, Clarice. Yeah, because I think yeah. she's crafty. She's got some strategy. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hmm. Um. No. <laughs> <laughs> can't, do that. can't do that. Ooh, I'll go Victor Crumb. Like he's okay, gonna be incredible. Okay. He's yeah, gonna be incredible. One. Okay, I need to round out with more agility. <laughs> I'm thinking one of the chasers. I'll go with. Angelina. Oh, okay. Angelina yeah. Johnson? Yeah, yeah, I feel like, yeah. I feel like it's throwing good. and catching a ball is a pretty good skill to have. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> Last one I'm picking. I'm glad that you didn't take him. Taking Dobby. <laughs> My he, team is totally going to win. He has been known to poof and poof and teleport and stuff. <laughs> He'll do that. He'll do his little snap, disappear thing anytime a ball is thrown at him. And he's also tiny, small target to hit. I think he's going to be great. I got the weirdest team possible. We're just gonna like psych you out and you're gonna be so confused. I'm ready. I think my team's gonna win. I don't I know, can. we're crafty. <laughs> we're very crafty. You, I don't know if you've seen Dodgeball, the strong, it's like very much the Globo Gym strong team versus the average Joes. I, I, and uh, I know how that movie ends. No, I had a very, I have a very well-rounded team, a lot of skills, some strength, some agility, uh-huh. some you know ball handling skills. I think And I got a bunch of weirdos playing a weird sport. <laughs> I feel good. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that has been the show. Thank you all so much for coming out. Give yourselves a round of applause for coming out to the show. Give it up again for Kelly for being an incredible guest. And shout out to all the folks here at Comedy Republic who made this happen from, you know, figuring out the logistics to front of house stuff to tech. Everybody has been so wonderful. So please give them a round of applause. This has been a delight for both of these shows. I'm very thankful to all you coming out. Oh no, I need to, uh, do you have your phone? I don't have my phone. Okay, uh, quick, stall while I get my phone so I can film the, the thing. Wee. Oh. You guys know what a joke. Um, <laughs> what do you call a tree that grows in your hand? A palm tree! <laughs> well done, well done, well done. Okay, now. Now that we've gotten the phone, because I like to document me saying the final thing all the time. (laughs) So, thank you all so much for coming out. I really appreciate it. I hope to return to Melbourne and to Australia for a proper tour so I can go to all the cities that all the other police are like, why don't you come to Brisbane? Why don't you come to Adelaide? Because I'm on vacation and I can't go everywhere. (laughs) So hopefully I'll come back for a proper tour and I definitely will return to Melbourne. But until I do return, I'll see you later. Thanks for coming out, everybody. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of The News Olympian. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schubert. I also run the social media and the website. Our editor and TikTok account runner is Sherry Guo. The music is by Bettina Kampamanas and Brandon Grugel, and the art is by Jessica E. Boyd. If you want to get involved in the community around the show, you can do so on social media. We are at News Olympian on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. Facebook also has the spoiler group and the spoiler free group. We also are at reddit.com slash r slash The News Olympian. If you want to take it to the next level, you can get in on the TNO Discord by joining our Patreon by going to the News Olympian 
patreon.com slash Patreon. Speaking of that Patreon, that's where bonus content lives. If you're looking for more TNO content, bonus episodes, director's commentary, monthly live streams, those all live there. And speaking of that Patreon, I want to give a huge shout out to our producer level patrons, Lada Bartova, Kelsey Gillespie, The Damn Steam Nuggets, Emma Cooey, Vicky Garcia, Ellie Hauskovchova, Veronica Bartova, Haley Hastings, Robin Garcia, Frida Vickstrom, Megan Moon, Tough Bayfong, Olivia Y, Craig McRoberts, Taylor Payne, Giselle Salvador, Peter Johnson, The Twin, Sabrina Balsiger, Bony Pony, Heather McMillan, Casey Williams, Polly Burge, Nikki Harris, Tatiana Schmidt, Sandra Rose, Bridget Lowry, Josh Sayer, Josh Wilkie, Abby Ryan, Wise Girl, Ashton Gabrielson, Marco Redhouse, Falcon Joey James, Christopher William Boucher, Lux, Caden Mack, Sam Sam Reby, Carly Allen, Riley Kitas, Mary Kelly, Audra, Mackenzie, Mrs. O'Leary, Aaron Wood, Rodith Kalna, Milo Kim, Fred Cabras, Harlan Christ, CC Reads 23, Sankoff, Julia Kendall, Emil Oscar Thomason, Noah Bungard, Liz Cardigan, Shatzebobs, Michelle Spurgeon, Zachary Hamilton, Ginger Spurs Boy, Rachel Bernadowicz, Sarah Neal, Ricky, Francesca Pacheco, and John Drielsma. If you want to help out the show in a non-monetary way, spreading it via word of mouth is essential to the podcast's growth. If you think of someone that would like the show, you could reach out to them directly and say, hey, there's this podcast. You love Percy Jackson. Listen to it. Or you've been looking for an excuse to read the Percy Jackson books. Here's a digital book club. Or you could post about the show on social media or leave it a rating and review on whatever podcasting app you're using. All of these things really do help. And I appreciate all of you who have done it in the past or will do it in the future. But I'm just so thankful that you tuned into this episode. I hope you tune into our next episode where we will be joined by Kelly Schubert again this time. It's live in Christchurch, New Zealand, and the audio is also crisp and clean, just like this episode was. But until then, I'll see you later. Hey everyone, how's it going? It's me, ASMR Mike. So last ASMR Mike segment, I had a cool sounding bird and shout out to listener Maya who let me know that that bird was a magpie. She did start her email joking that the bird is called an R2-D2, but then did end it by saying, PS, I think it's a magpie. A very funny joke. I audibly left out loud reading the email, but this ASMR Mike segment is just going to be birds chirping as I was trying to get audio of the magpie making noise, but I've realized this is a really soothing little way to end out this episode because the birds just chirping all across the hike we were on sounded lovely. So here's some bird noises. Thank you for listening.